This podcast is for mature audiences only and may include cussing, cursing, fidgeting, rambling, insensitive or irreverent material, slurs, catchphrases, expressions, lamentations, and or degradations that aren't suitable for young folk. Also, we'll be talking about the reefer. That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Andy contracts the plague and then gets on an international flight for good times had by all. Dan gets amped up plugging in Transistor. Uh, His companion goes mobile mid-flight with Shin Megami Tensei 4 and Persona 4 Golden. Purple Dungeon Squid lands with two fresh strains to blow our brains. Monsters in the closet, we get a look-see at Kingdom Hearts 3, and lawmakers take a hard, long look at loot boxes. We'll also be settling in for a smoke sesh with our strain in our munchie of the week so stick around for that because it's going to be a good good time i'm your host andy and with me as always the one the only the dankest of the dank men on this earth dank dan it's time again to squeeze out our mind grapes into the realms of the dungeon squid yeah that's something that normal people say all the time i think daniel i hope not i i assure you not dude i am so stuffed up I don't know if you could tell in that introduction, I sounded like halfway, halfway between here and a hospital. I am just suffering right now. You sound like a man who's just uh, recently undergone rhinoplasty and whose nasal cavity is packed to the brim with gauze. Oh, yeah, man. Well, listen, you know, I had to get that schnoz in check. I had to get myself all sexy. No, dude, um, I'm sounding like the kind of man who has a child that goes to preschool and comes home with all sorts of uh, terrible, nasty illnesses. You might as well be sending your kid to, like, the uh, Center for Infections Diseases and ask them to just touch every beaker in the house. Buddy, they don't, they don't just touch it. They lick it. They get all over it. They get their hands up in there, and then they bring it home for, does dad, it, for dear old Does dad. it impress you that... Your children are uh, almost never sick, and if they are sick, it's for a mere, you know, 24 hours, and then you contract it, and you got a stern eight-day uh, downtime. Oh, yeah, buddy. Last night, they took an L, and tonight, they bounced back, but for me, that L lasts a full week, and um, as was the case with norovirus, it was beautiful. Like, I, I, so we missed Purple Dungeon Squad. Please, bear with us. We, uh, we missed... Last week's podcast, I want to apologize to you all on behalf of this uh, this Purple Dungeon Squid team um, for doing so. But the week prior, I was experiencing what can only be described as a near-death experience deep in the throes of the 24-hour stomach flu uh, just before flying off to Las Vegas for a convention. Man, my wife got this thing. She kicked it off, right? She got this 24-hour stomach flu. We've been together a very long time. I have never seen her turn those colors before. It was horrific. Then... My one kid got it, had another two-day experience. My next kid got it, and by Thursday, 
Just as I thought I was about to fly out of the country before they could infect me, I found myself on the morning train, kneeling like a preacher in front of the golden throne and emptying the contents of my stomach uh, in the company of the people that I commute with every morning. It was it was a real experience. Did you vomit in front of strangers? Everywhere. Everywhere. Oh. And the night before was Valentine's Day, so I had cooked up a... I don't want to get too graphic here, but I had cooked up a beautiful steak. Beautiful steak dinner, lots of wine. It was not pretty. Um, so uh, please paint the picture for me. You've, you've boarded a passenger train. Where and when did you choose to uh, upchuck? You see, the thing is, is I get up to leave for work at around six in the Tremendous. morning, right? And at that, at that time, it's challenging to determine if you're just being a big old puss puss, right. uh, you know, and just being a little tired or if you're genuinely critically ill. Right. Uh, and it turn, turns out the answer was B, but I decided to board the vehicle anyway. Sure. Um, and, you know, I'm about 10 minutes into my train ride when all of a sudden I notice that I'm like sweating profusely down my face. And that's the first sign. And then when the person next to you looks over to you and does like a little bit of a double take and then scooches towards looks the window a bit. Looks at you, you know, like you're a goddamn outbreak monkey. This man is melting. Yeah, that was what was going on in his mind. Um, and you got to remember, like, I, I come from a small town. So, like, that guy probably runs the general store. You know, the guy over, he's like my banker. And, you know, I very calmly get up about 15 minutes in, um, excuse myself to the restroom. And if you've ever been on a train, you know that the restroom is like a thin sheet of bamboo that only barely, you know, uh, covers you up when you're in there doing your business. Um, and I'm a very loud vomiter. It's a, it's a known fact. It was, it was like a, it was, I was preaching a sermon from that, from that bathroom and not one person in those five very expensive train cars didn't hear me. You turn into a vomit breathing kraken. It's true. It's true. And so I, I actually jumped out of the train, literally jumped out of it as it was still moving. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, it coming to a stop, but still uh, at the next at the next station um, and parked myself there, realizing only after I had departed that I did not have a phone with me. What? So it was it was quite the exercise in finagling someone to come and give me a ride the 40 minutes back home. Um, without having a, a functioning, a functioning. Did you, anyway, that did was you a, survive experience. based solely upon the kindness of strangers? I don't know. There was something meditative going on. The Olympics were on and I, I found myself watching like women's figure skating. And there's something strange when you're trying not to vomit in public. Right. Um, and you try and distract yourself and, and, you know, women's figure skating did it for me for a while. There was something about the spinning and the jumping, but eventually I, yeah, I yacked everywhere. You were in your own Olympic event, the 150 meter, no vomit at which you placed bronze for stern effort. Um, but you did spew. Yeah. I got edged out by those, uh, by those juiced up dudes from Russia. Those Lithuanians know how now, how to not vomit and they called upon those yes, skills indeed. yeah so that was not a pretty time uh and hence why last week we did not have a podcast um i then was was on a jet plane to las vegas which is always a bit of a blur um let me tell you though dan legal weed is it's coming to canada you know it's only uh, it's only a couple months away um legal weed is a strange thing las vegas was this kind of weird microcosm of it being legal, but not totally okay. You know what I mean? Like, so for example, in Las Vegas, you, you can consume all the weed you like in your house. 
But the problem with Las Vegas and that law is that everybody in Las Vegas who wants to smoke weed is a tourist. And hotels are totally off limits, as is smoking on the strip. So, like, you've got this strange world where everyone's rolling joints and blunts and trying to get away with it. But, like, every hotel security guard, 300 times a day, is constantly having to tell people to fuck off about their weed. <laughs> so, it's just, you're like, you've got to, I, I went and dropped $120 American, which is pretty much a mortgage payment in Canada, right, uh, on weed, and realized that there was nowhere I could really smoke it. You can't do it in the hotel room. Can't do it outside. Can't do it in the hotel. It's just, it was a real fucking problem. Oh, Andy, when you were legally smoking weed, which uh, location did you choose to illegally smoke it in? Well, of course, I had to purchase a home. Sure. <laughs> right off the strip. Purchased a home. And when I, no, I mean, like, you know, you, you find those little in-between areas. But then it's like, but I'm not legally smoking it anyway now. So what the fuck? You know, like, I might as well just be anywhere. The problem with a hidden smoking location is it's the exact same as a getting stabbed to death location. You know, it's an out-of-the-way alcove. And while you're huffing a bone, you realize, oh, yeah. oh, this is exactly where I'd get murdered, right here. Yeah, you're like, oh, man, right behind that fucking loans office is where I want to go. And, uh, yeah, where I want to go and burn down this joint, right behind where all those discharged criminals are looking to steal my identity. That's a great spot to just hunker down and enjoy a little Chiba. It's the right spot, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, listen, it was, you know, obviously you get around it and you enjoy your weed and that's cool. It's just, you know, I was looking forward to going into the land of the free and instead I went to the land of the slight nuisance. Why can't you just get belligerently drunk like everybody else? Well, that's the thing with, well, I mean, we're not, we're talking about weed and, and that's the thing about Vegas is you can fucking drink anywhere. Not anywhere. You're walking everywhere. Everywhere. Exactly. You're like, you're walking down the street and people have like, you've got like 15, 18 year olds walking around with, I don't know, three foot tall margaritas and getting plitzed in the middle of the street. And meanwhile, I'm like sitting here casually smoking on my blunt and I got a secure, I got two security guards rolling up. And like, the thing is, is they know they're being a pain in the ass, right? They're like, all right, man, I gotta, we gotta, yeah, you just, I don't know, like just stop smoking that, I guess. And it's it's just an awkward thing for everybody. It's uh I think the only state where you can roll into a casino, get a two foot beverage, roll out of that casino, into a cab, down to another casino, and all you get is friendly waves. Yeah, man. Hey, come on by. Come on by. Um, that being said, there was some good quality weed in Vegas. That's for sure. Uh, I was down at Sahara 420. Shout out to that spot, which is a classy, classy joint. Um, picked up some strawberry lemon haze and some Louis the 13th. Uh, strawberry lemon haze, a little bit more upbeat sativa. Really enjoyed that. In fact, it smells exactly as it's named. Uh, it was it was a real treat to roll up. And Louis the Thirteenth was a nice bedtime indica. Really had a great time with that. Um, prices were fucking crazy, though, man. Crazy, seventeen dollars a gram. They were ready to. It see was you. like, yeah, man. Like I can, I can buy a car for that in Canada. You know what I mean? It's just, it was, it was. Andy, wild. I think you're propagating you know? strange uh, understandings of prices of goods and inflation in the Great White North. Listen, man, when you cut as many ice blocks as I do in exchange for goods and food and services, you know, you sometimes you have to become a, a thrifty I buyer. just hope you don't compromise the seal blubber trade to which I make my living. Yes. Well, you know, uh, if anyone is a seal blubber dealer, it is you. Seal the deal, as they say on the T-shirt. Tremendous. Yeah. Um, speaking of blubber, 
<laughs> nailing it. I, I nailing it. I went to uh, I went to Gordon Ramsay Burger, um, which was it was an experience. Here's the thing: like, have you seen a Gordon Ramsay like show before? You know where he yells at people and he's a perfectionist and all that good shit. I, I like it when he calls people twats. It's a good time. Twats, twats. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Um, you know, it's for me. I, I feel like if you're Gordon Ramsay and you have a burger joint, it's going to be the most impeccable burger joint of all time. And this place was okay, but it it just seemed wildly out of balance. So I'll give you an example. I got the pork burger, and normally a burger made entirely of pork is a bit of a red flag. You don't want it, right? It's just a little. You don't want it. Nah, it's a little much. It's like it's a pork chop on a bun. Let's be real about it, right? But it's Gordon Ramsay, so I'm like, okay, you know what? I love I love me some pork. Let's go ahead and give this a shot, man. I kid you not. Get yourself a, an NHL hockey puck worth of fucking pork loin and throw some shredded pork on top of that, along with some pulled pork topped with like six strips of bacon and a big old chunk of provolone cheese with some pickles and some cabbage. It was it was murder. I had one bite, one bite, and the fat was like dripping down my face in a way that I can't describe to you right now. I had one bite. This is the only place I've ever gone, had one bite, of, because I like my food, Dan. I like my food, but there was no having a second bite on this guy. So Gordon Ramsay, if you're listening, and I know you are a regular listener of the Purple Dungeon Squid, um, maybe maybe rein that in a notch. Maybe bring that in a peg. You know, you know? one could uh, seat this at the feet of Gordon Ramsay and say, tisk tisk, how dare you? But you, sir, were the man that read a menu item that included five discrete types of pork and said to yourself this is in no way too much send me one of your best this is the thing though i feel like when you're in the house of a celebrity chef you you order the most fucked up thing on the menu and you let him figure and then it you out. chastise him for bringing you exactly what you ordered yeah exactly like listen man if you're gonna serve a burger made entirely out of boiled tennis shoes and you're gordon fucking ramsay i'm gonna order it because i'm assuming you know what you're doing in that scenario it turns out this was even too much pork for Gordon Ramsay. Get twat. What I love about uh, Gordon is he like toss out insults that have nothing to do with what anyone's perceived so far. He's like, "You've undercooked the lamb again, you slimy bastard!" I'm like, "I'm like, <laughs> what are you, slimy?" He's like, "You sleazeball, you two-timing harlot!" I'm like, "What?" <laughs> like to him, an undercooked lamb means that like you're a gentleman of ill repute. That uh, will have his way with any lady. You know what? Maybe he knows more than I do. Who's to say? Maybe he knows more, my friend. They're also from Britain. So, you know, there's, there's something going on up there with the lambs. I, I know you want me to hit that back to you, but I just, that one's a foul ball. Listen, man, when it comes to lambs, you always hit it That's back. Um, you know, I played a, played a ton of Vita on the flight to and back, which was a great time. I haven't really had an opportunity to employ my PS Vita, which I so uh, covetously purchased uh, a couple a couple weeks back. It was a pleasure, man. I had a great time. Like this handheld gaming has me by the by the nards. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm really I'm really in it. It gives me gives me the space to enjoy something, um, you know, on the go, and I, I've carved out like double my gaming time ever since I started started taking the handheld consoles. And Vita means I don't have to sacrifice anything. Graphics are great, gameplay is great. I'm enjoying it for sure. <sighs> Pardon my cough. Ooh, you want to make an edit point right there? No, no, no. We'll just continue it on. There's gonna there's plenty more where that came yeah. from. There's plenty okay. more where that came All from. Right. Yeah, but anyway, so you know, all in all, was a great was a great trip to Vegas. Did did I ever tell you about Secret Pizza? 
Um, I don't think I heard that, which means you're probably uh, pizza incorrectly. Yeah, no, there you go. So, okay, so let me roll it back a little bit. We went to Sahara 420 and picked up something called a caviar joint. And I've, I've never heard of it before. It's apparently the new new. That's the hotness, right? Um, it's like weed with like, I think, some crumble and it's it's dipped in oil and then rolled in keef. It's kind of like a moon rock, but in a joint form. So no right? beluga whale egg to be seen. There may have been some in gotcha. there. I just smoked it, so I don't know. But um, it was a $29 joint, so let me preface it by saying that. That's a novelty joint if I've ever heard one, and not that good, if we're being totally honest. wasn't like They, they do something where they infuse it with some sort of um, uh, essential oil. I think it's like strawberry or raspberry or some shit like that. I mean, I don't know about you, man, but I don't want my, I don't want my weed to taste like fake raspberry. You know what I'm that saying? That seems like you cooked you know, some prime rib and crumbled, you know, some Gruyere cheese on there with truffle oil. And then just for fun, you like put some like aerosol cheese on top. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good, it's, a, it's actually a, a very apt comparison. Yeah, I kind of felt like that. It was like, okay, I'm, I'm smoking a novelty joint. This is kind of okay for now. But, um, but anyway, back to secret pizza. So you know, it's like 2.30 in the morning. We're rolling around through the hotels and just trying to find something to eat. And, you know, I, I get find myself on the top floor of the Cosmopolitan Hotel. And the Cosmo Hotel is a beautiful hotel, gorgeous. Like, it's way over the top. I think it's some of the most expensive uh, land and building in the United States of America. Uh, anyway, I find myself on the top floor of the Cosmo. And there's like this nondescript hallway that just leads out of the main common area. And so obviously, you know, we're on a weed adventure. Here we are, you know, one caviar joint deep. We decide to kind of kind of maneuver ourselves down that secret hallway. And wouldn't you know it, we stumble upon this very crowded, very busy, very delicious smelling pizza joint. And it has no name. It's called, like, people call it Secret Pizza because it's a secret down a hallway. But there's no name to it. There's, like, an old-school Galaga machine in the corner. And these guys have a nonstop stream of business rolling in, drunks and you name it, everybody from the casino and beyond, um, rolling up to Secret Pizza to pick up what's got to be the most delicious slice of pizza in Las Vegas, if not in North America. It is chewy, crunchy bottomed, beautifully seasoned and topped. There's a little bit of Parmesan in the cheese. You can taste it. It kind of hits that salty note, right? Beautifully greasy. And they serve it with a no frills ranch dressing on the side. This is not fancy. It's a no frills, kind of thin ranch dressing, and it goes perfectly. Mark my words. Secret pizza. Beautiful place. I, I like a place that needs to make no effort whatsoever. They understand the traffic, they understand the area so so good, so well, that they know that marketing budget, zero. Presence on Twitter, none. Instagram account, no followers. Pizza, completely present and accounted for. Oh yeah, the pizza's there, man, make no mistake. And everybody fucking knows that, let me tell you. Um, also got assaulted by two, uh, two, uh, working women in the, uh, in the lobby. It was, uh, yeah, it's always a, it's always a dicey time when you end up in the cosmopolitan hotel, but keep looking forward, walking and thinking of your country and you'll be okay. You know what? Um, they usually don't call it an assault. They usually call it a rendezvous. A rendezvous. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, I uh, I was like I said, I was a caviar joint deep, so I was uh, I was bouncing out of there fairly. Listen, quickly. they're these two ladies, I, and you know, I guess you call them whores, but I don't remember paying. <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> one last thing about the United States of America that I just have to commend y'all on. Your munchie selection is next level. Never have I been to a place on this earth, and I got to tell you, you walk into your garden variety convenience store, your Max, your Walmart Supercenter, your 7-Eleven, whatever the situation is, you walk into your um, your local munchie spot, and we have probably one-sixteenth of the creativity that the United States has in their munchies. You got Cheetos that come in like 16 flavored varieties. I'm talking everything from sriracha down to three levels of hotness, some jalapenos, and some cool ranch, and I've just never seen that shit before. Hats off to you, America. You really are the first nation of this world. You know, when you need 19 flavors of, of Doritos, you know that something in there just screams freedom. Yeah, buddy. Well, listen, I don't need freedom if I have 19 flavors of Doritos. <laughs> am I right? Um, what's, what's this saying? Uh, those that would uh, give up freedom to accept rich, zesty flavors deserve neither. <laughs> uh, I'll take the rich, zesty flavors, and you can keep your freedom. How about there that? There you go. There you go. And now for our sponsors. This episode of the Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by the one, the only, Whedon Video Games. Yep. Still, what are we? Episode number 12, I want to say. Congrats, Dan. Yeah. Congrats. Episode number Boom. 12. That's dank. Yes. Boom. There you go. Still not sponsored. No. Though. So no checks rolling in through the door. Not yet. Um, Just yeah, sound checks, really. this on a string budget. Just, yeah, sound checks, body checks, odor checks, all sorts of shit, but no no paychecks. So if you do want to sponsor the Purple Dungeon Squid, uh, go ahead and, and hit us up. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, we're also sponsored by a mallard with a cold. Andy, what's the difference between you and a mallard with a cold? <coughs> I don't know. Well, one's a sick fuck, and the other one is a waterfowl with a nasal congestion issue. Oh, but Ching, you, 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 you thought, don't give me that one's off the cuff. That one was well rehearsed. Um, I mean, 30 seconds ago, but that's, that's usually all it takes. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what your, uh, that's what your girlfriend says. Um, brought to you by youthful seniors. Because your grandpappy isn't too old to contract a fresh case of VD. Youthful seniors. Now with extra prophylactics. Oh, Jesus. How is your grandpappy contracting VD? Uh, brought to you by carpets, not matching the drapes. Sometimes the downstairs surprise isn't a problem. Brought to you by a guy with an iguana. Because it's 1990 and maybe you need some meth. <laughs> That's true, man. I feel like, you know, if I were to write a meth dealer in a uh, in a play, he would definitely have an iguana. Now, quick, what's the meth, what's the meth dealer's name? Uh, Trison. Trison, got you. What's the iguana's name? Uh, Brett. The hidden <laughs> <laughs> Trison and Brett. I feel like you nailed that one. I got to give it to you. Brought to you by Reheated Coffee. Like the last girl at the bar, she's not ideal, but she'll do. Oh, boy. If you want to actually sponsor the show, feel free to email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, you'll have to put up with all of this nonsense. I'll never stop. I'm so congested. <laughs> You're in such a shitty place. <laughs> Oy vey, my friend. My nose is coming undone. It is just falling apart. We should uh, 
like super glue that bad boy shut or maybe uh, put a shunt in there. Hey, uh, what's that thing where you put a straw into a beer so you can drink it faster? Uh, I don't know, but if I've learned anything from Monster Hunter is if a piece of your body falls off, turn it into a sword. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, hopefully later on I'll have some protection. Dan, it has been a stern two weeks since we were in the driver's seat here, and I hope, I'm hoping, that you played some video games in that, uh, in that period. I did nothing but, in fact, uh, I've touched on a couple gems, so much so that the game I'm going to uh, talk about today, I had to circle back to and, uh, and uh, just uh, dip my beak back in. Ooh, dip in your beak, dip in your beak. That's cool, that's cool. Um, well, may I tell you about uh, a little gem that I picked up on the 3DS? I would love for you to do that. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Yeah, I mean, so listen, I've been in transit a lot recently on planes, on trains, on aeroplanes. I said aeroplanes. That's okay. You did. You did. You're fine. Uh, yep. That's okay. Fine. Fair enough. So um, Atlas, one of, my, one of my favorite folks, or I guess they're not folks, they're publishers or developers, whatever, whatever they are. Atlas um, released back in July of 2013 a little game called Shin Megami Tensei 4, which is like, I don't know if it's a spiritual successor or predecessor or just in the same vein as the Persona series, but Shin Megami Tensei, where Persona is typically set in like a high school kind of scenario, Shin Megami Tensei goes all the way into like a, a post-apocalyptic, gritty, grimdark kind of feel, right? Um, and so they released this game. It's, a, it's a, an RPG on the 3DS, and the gist of it, is it's a post-apocalyptic game where players recruit demons, right, uh, to fight alongside them. So it's kind of like an adult Pokemon, right? Mm. You're, yeah, you're like you're rolling around and you're you're kind of, um, I guess you could say, enticing demons to join your cause. Uh, you know, it's set. So the the game opens up in this kind of feudal Japan-esque nation, which I found kind of neat. You know, I was expecting to roll in and for it to be set in modern times, and it, I won't spoil anything. It does kind of bridge into that shortly thereafter, uh, but it opens up in this kind of feudal Japan situation. And um, you know, I got to tell you, the first thing that the first thing that jumps out at me about this game is that it's fucking mercilessly hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> and like. We can probably agree. I've been a, I've been a little poos poos mm-hmm. about the, mm-hmm. the difficulty lately. Um, Mega Man and and other games kind of involved, but take it from me, this game is not only really hard; it requires a lot of luck in the beginning. So you know you're kind of thrust into these catacombs and instructed to begin building your initial demon team. And what dawned on me very quickly is that you die very regularly often at the whim of chance and fate, and sometimes very arbitrarily. Like, I don't know, how do you feel about a mechanism like that at the very beginning of a game? Does it it set the tone for a game being like, hey, I'm hard, or is it just a fucking turnoff? What do you think? It lets you know what it's about right away. Like, when a game does this, it's telegraphing that it's going to pull no punches. I mean, uh, something as classic uh, example of this is a Demon Souls has a nigh-unkillable boss show up within the first 28 seconds and the whole expectation is that it will murder you just just to sort of set the bar at the point of where your suffering is going to be i get that but what what i you know i what i would counter with is that when you present a genuine challenge to someone and they have to overcome it fine and dandy but when you present such a high um high percentage of luck based failure at the at the onset of a game it's almost cheesy, 
You know what I mean? It's almost like, oh, I get it. You're hard. I understand. You know? I like that they do it early because it gives you that gut check moment, you know, mm-hmm. it, that you go, oh, that's what you're about. And either you're into it or you can, like, dip back out immediately. You're like, no more. You know, it, it doesn't make any illusions. It's not like the girl you date for three months and she, like, hides her crazy for the first, uh, you know, 79 days and before the levees break. And she, te- she tells you how jealous she is of, like, your fourth most recent ex-girlfriend. You know, oh, like, yeah. it, <laughs> it comes out front immediately. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I get where you're coming from. I would say, though, that I was initially just turned off. Because mm. here's the other, the other thing about the introductory sequence of a game being punishingly hard is if you have to repeat that introductory sequence three, four times, five times, seven times, you start to really not want to see anything else. You're like, oh, that's what this game is. Fuck this shit. You know what I mean? Now, Andy, Um, could this possibly be a Mega Man situation? I mean, listen, you know, Mega Man is a uniquely challenging game, and I believe that halfway through the, you know, the review, I, I you know, had a conversation about how genuinely it, it forces you to hone your skills. Let me give you an idea about the beginning of Shin Megami Tensei 4, though, and, and it unearths one of the, the, the real problems that I have with it. Recruiting demons, which you must do very early in the initial catacombs right. uh, with a startling level of success or else you're fucking finished. Let me give you an example. Your, your character fights alongside the other demons that you recruit, okay? And often you'll run into groups of two or three demons. And one of the cool mechanisms in this game is if you hit someone, like another demon or another demon hits you with an attack that you're vulnerable to, you get knocked down and it gets to hit you again, right? So if you've got no other demons or one other demon, which by the way, at those early stages you know, one hit from another demon will typically, one or two max hits will take out your demon currently, right? Um, if you're in that space where you've only got one other demon and you run into a pack of three, you're pretty much fucking dead, you know? And on top of that, recruiting demons is completely fucking random, completely random. Basically what happens is um, you'll say, hey, I want to recruit this demon. And the demon will, will say some nonsense like, oh, do you think that, pie flies in the sky and you're like you get one of three randomized answers and there's there's like it's randomized so basically you're you're picking one number out of three and hoping you pick the right number based on nothing right and if you get through that then it goes to another randomized question and then it might ask you hey you want to give me some gold or hey you want to give me some experience or hey will you let me take a big chunk out of your hit your health point bar and you you'll say yes of course and then he may join you or he may just fuck off and so that whole experience a couple minutes into the game is like, I have no control over bringing this demon into my party, right? I've only got one other demon and he's this little fucking fart frog that has no chance of taking on the You go to high school and the only friend you can make is like the fat flatulent kid. This does sound rough. Yeah, and I was like, so I'm rolling through this dungeon, and it's like, okay, me and Fart Frog roll out. We hit a group of three, like, giant, I don't know, double-headed unicorn rams, and they're like, nah, dog, we're gonna just going to go ahead and take you out here. And then what happens is you get crushed into the sky, so you die. You go to this, like, far-off place, right, where um, where you're, you're told not only that you can resurrect at an earlier save point, but also that you should probably do it on an easier difficulty. Ooh, the <laughs> ultimate slight 
the game asks you if you wanted it a little bit more gentle. But like it's a dude sitting at a desk and he's like, yeah, we should probably just tone down the volume on you there, Junior. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it seems like he might have gone to the deep end too early. Let me direct you over here to the kiddie pool. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. Anyway, I mean, listen. The game is fun. I got about seven hours deep, seven or eight hours deep into it. I got into my into my groove. You know, I, I definitely um, began grinding and over leveling a little bit, and that that went a long way towards making sure that I was at least competitive. Right. Um, that being said, the game continued to be challenging, which I you know is great. I like a good challenge in a game, but it, it you know it started to level out and become a bit more reasonable. One cool mechanism is that you can fuse your demons. So like. If you recruit two demons and you want to mash them together and make another demon, you can totally do that, which I thought was really neat. Um, gives you kind of some variety as you're going along. Uh, the only the only other kind of slight I would have on this game is the graphics are ugh, bland, man. Like it's so much brown and black and just just dire dankness that mm. I yeah I just I just you know it's. And a lot of retreading over where you've already been. And that's by virtue of the fact of being a 3DS game, right? You've only got so much memory, so much space to deal with. But when you're mm-hmm. constantly going back in and out of the same dungeon again and again and again to achieve different things, especially if it's not particularly pretty looking, I lose interest pretty quick. You know what I mean? Yeah, buddy. Um, you know, if it hasn't presented some very strong gameplay hook, it, it's going to have a tough time. Yeah, and like, you know, Shin Megami Tensei 4 is very well regarded. It's one of the air quotes best games on the platform by, you know, most credible publishers. And, you know, again, I'm sure that if I break past that 20 hour wall, there's a a really rich game and I can see the subsystems like bubbling to the surface. I just, you know, for now, I have so many other handheld options that that offer me a similar experience that there's just almost no chance that I'm going to go back to this game. It's just dead to you, eh? Yes, sir. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely not beginner friendly. It's brutally cruel. You know, some bad luck will send you to the afterlife, uh, aforementioned afterlife, um, where, you know, you're, you get flogged and berated for having died. And, you know, it's appropriate for the theme, but kind of shitty. And uh, I would definitely not recommend it as a 420 friendly game. It's just not a chill game. You know, you, you could you could get by. It's just straight up grinding. Uh, but I don't know. The map is really confusing. And the game just just pokes you with a little too much frustration often. It's just not the kind of game that I would want to play after smoking. Um, yeah, just not very nice to look at, you know, in general. Just not not super inspiring. But hey, Shin Megami Tensei 4, thanks for trying. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you on Shin Megami Tensei 5. Yeah, just like your shitty little death dealer guy. Uh, maybe you should just be better next time. Handy. Do you know what Shin Megami Tensei uh, it translates to? translates to in japanese uh i don't know that shitty time for most of it translates to true goddess metemp psychosis uh-huh i i yeah that makes sure that makes perfect sense i, I in, see where they're coming from with that one yeah i mean really elucidates the whole thing just underscores it with a big old highlighter you know mm-hmm. yeah no doubt so what'd you play my friend what'd you get into well, you know, I, I looked back through the catalog of some of the uh, PlayStation 4 classics, and I dug up something that I recall downloading previously, but never getting to. Um, have you seen Transistor 
for PS4 and PC. Yo, yeah, man. I've, I, you know, I bought that game when it was four dollars on the PlayStation Store, and um, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's a beautiful game. I, you know, I, I'd seen it and thought to myself, wow, you know, it, it, um, it has such a, a, a unique aesthetic to it. Um, you know, the visuals are so pleasing, and I promised myself I'd come back to it, so I did, and. You know, as I was uh, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking to myself, "Man, I need to move through the story a little bit more on this game because I'd taken so much time sort of milling about on, on this game." And you know, it isn't because there's a huge branching narrative; it's it's pretty linear. But the game that produce like that uh, is offers you such a variance in gameplay and such a beautiful thing. I found myself really like. Uh, walking into every nook and cranny um you know checking this out and uh, and you know something about me it's that i usually play games uh very slowly for two reasons i want to check everything out and i tend to uh stack on difficulty you do love to do that usually artificially so like uh you know playing through tomb raider uh, using uh the bow the entire time well Transistor knew exactly what I was about because, you know, as you play, um, the game <clears throat> gives you, uh, uh, and just to give you an idea, this game's an isometric action RPG game, which feels right. like a mouthful. And uh, you play a, a main character by the name of Red, who is a famous city, or excuse me, a famous singer in the city uh, called uh, Cloudbank, um, and who has. Uh, as you meet her, recently lost her voice, and you join your character as she pulls the eponymous transistor, which is basically a sword for you, out of the chest of a man. And, you know, I don't want to unravel the, the game too much for folks because it's hard to pull on the string of the story without giving away too much. But you find yourself in the heart of a, of a mystery uh, as you move through this, uh, this place called Cloudbank. And what you realize pretty quickly is somebody has done you dirty and something's happening to the city. And once more, this isn't a regular city. Um, you know, there's all these little strange computer references. You start to kind of get that maybe you are in a civilization that's a little bit more like the Matrix. In the sense sort of that, digital. Got that yeah, digital feel. Yeah, like they reference programs and procedures and you know, as you as you go through the game, you pick up what are called processes that are actually move sets for uh, Red to bring against her enemies. These rogue type uh, programs, and uh, you know, it, what's great is you get a very very simplistic move set at the beginning. But as you go and pick up processes, they're both main type attacks that you assign to each of your you know PlayStation controller buttons. But as you get more processes. They can either replace processes you already have, you can swap them in and out, or they can augment other processes, changing up your movesets slightly. You get this sort of a slow bouquet of abilities starting to unravel right. that you can kind of set as you like. No, I, I really like that bit about Transistor. The like it just it brings in a lot of variety, and I haven't played through it a bunch of times, and I haven't played through the whole thing, but I have played through it to a point 
and each time done so in kind of a radically different way. Um, it, it, it opens up movesets in a way that D- Diablo kind of does, D3 kind of does. Um, I just, just the right amount of pacing that you have time to wrap your brain around them as you go. The, the combat is very cool. Yeah, and I mean, it, you said Diablo, and it, it takes some elephants, elements, elephants, takes some elements from that game, like it, you're kind of running around a stage where it's fun to break things, and you certainly can. Uh, you know, but there's also this XCOM feel of the combat because while it's a it's a an action game where you're sort of running around defeating these processes in these set battles, battles all happen in kind of sets. Uh, you know, uh, they're also um, this XCOM like turn based uh, element to it, which. You know, it well, actually, you can you can pause it anytime you like, right? That's it's kind of like you do like an R two, and then you can plot out your movement and spend action points. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to that in the sense that you know, and and I, I it's funny because I neglected this. I'm playing the game, and 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 I'm like, oh yeah, I can I can put it into this pause mo- motive where you can sort of tactically set out your next couple moves, each which take a little bit of time. Uh, away until you fill up sort of your action bar when you execute it you you know uh, pull this move set off in blinding efficiency now the 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 ai the enemy ai AI can still move around um but if you you know you set out your moves correctly in clinical fashion you can just destroy them but you know it comes at a price you go through this kind of refractory period where most of your moves you can't use and you're a little bit slower than you normally are so you got to be a little bit careful for that um you know but as you uh, move through the game it hands you as well as processors something called limiters and limiters make the game harder at your choosing oh, so cool you optionally turn these things on to give the enemies more health or extra abilities or um, some sort of uh, regenerative abilities at death um, and you know being the masochist i am i'm turning these things off uh, on as i go uh, which also turns up the amount of XP that you get. Oh, cool. I was going to ask what the reward was. So you're, you're making it harder, but you're also leveling quicker. Right. And I have a feeling it has something to do with the lore and the narrative, too, because each of the limiters um, has a, like a lore element as well. And there's this very complex lore system because the game tells you very little about what's going on at the outset, but as you use processes in different ways, um, it tells you more of the story. So my sweet, sweet girlfriend asked me, she's like, this game, why is it taking you so long? I go, uh, I keep turning on more and more limiters. And she's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a psychopath, sweetheart. I'm a psychopath. Yeah, I mean, that's that wouldn't be my move at all. Like, I mean, I might turn on one or two just to kind of give it a bit of a flavor. But, you know, I feel like making the game super difficult uh, for the, you know, for the sake of it seems kind of counterintuitive. But hey, to each his own. Right. And, you know, it's funny because the game encourages you to play with the moveset. And turning on the delimiter sort of gives you more and more uh, reasons to sort of really hone your craft in and try different play styles uh and you know it forced me to use the turn-based mechanic which i really i was playing the game probably 25 percent of it using the turn-based mechanic never and so i kind of found myself having to do that um you know so uh, gameplay uh, aside it has this neat story where it feels like you're taking the driver's seat of um you know the vixen in like a sam spade novel like 
a hard-boiled detective novel, and it's voiced by the same folks, um, Super Giants game. Um, oh my word! I just lost the name. Bastion, the voice of oh, Bastion, right, yes. that deep, rich tone voice, and he's almost like the hard-boiled detective. So use the classic literary sort of method to tell a mysterious story while feeding you little lines. And I like how the voiceless protagonist, she has a reason not to be voiceless or not to have a voice. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of, uh, without spoiling too much, it kind of gave her a reason why her she, she can't speak. But what she can do right. is hum. Now, Andy, when you were playing this game, did you ever help hold down the L2 button? No. Is that like a, a no? What, is, what does that do? In every scene, she can't speak or sing. But if you hold down the L2 button, she hums. Really? And she hums uh, differently in every area of the game in a way that complements the music that's scored in the background. Oh, that's so cool. I, I, a, I actually had no idea. That's crazy. There's a cool little nuance. And, you know, so that, that said, the game also has this brilliant sort of muted glow to it. All the art is, it's very, I would call it, Art Deco. It, it, it feels like, um, like the the world of Bioshock. Um, yeah, name, and I, Rapture, know I know exactly. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. With it's, a little bit more of a romantic glow to it, and that's what this game is steeped in mystery and romance and so it, yeah and, and you know I, I feel like you know many people want to put a cyberpunk label on it but it's just not cyberpunk you know it just doesn't doesn't have that the, the level of grit that a cyberpunk you know setting setting does it, it's it's exactly as you as you position it it's got that again i don't know if the word is art deco but it's got that bioshock-esque kind of romantic 50s style little bit of cheese in there and i, I really dig that it feels, you're so right, it feels so novel, and it feels to riff, It like it's almost like it's riffing off cyberpunk, but it throws off the punk, which is, you know, a style that I love so much, and replaces it with, like, this this cool mystery romance vibe that I just love. Um, it's yeah. like a, a slow sip of whiskey in that way. And, uh, you know, that so that, that really kept me kind of transfixed on it, and going back and, and making the game harder and harder, almost like like a, uh, <laughs> a glass of whiskey. I didn't want it to end, you know? I was wanting to savor it, and uh, that so far I've been pretty successful because I think I'm about 80% through the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and no, I've never made it quite that far, and I shoot my whiskey. I don't sip it, but um, but I, I feel <laughs> I feel you on the, on the feelings around the game because it definitely has something special. Uh, Beginner-friendly? 100% beginner-friendly, walks you into it slow, 420-friendly, uh, uh, like times 10, uh, because the visuals are beautiful, it'll lull you into a, a safe place, and, and uh, you may never escape. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah, Transistor is one that I'm eager to pick back up again um, and give give the time that it's due, so nice. I'm glad to hear that you dove into that. Um, I dove into another shit game. <laughs> 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 did, I, did I spoil that one? Uh, so listen, I was really excited about the new Dragon Ball Fighter Z, but and guys, by the way, I'm so sorry that I'm sniffling all over the place. I feel like I'm just oh, just murdered out here. So apologies if this sucks and in and, uh, and, and listen back. But um, 
I was really stoked or am still really stoked about Dragon Ball Fighter Z, but you know, I was going to be traveling. I was leaving for Vegas, so I, I resolved that I would probably grab it when I got back as opposed to dropping the whatever seven dimes on it, uh, uh, you know, before leaving and not getting to play it. Um, but you know, I, I kind of got bit by the Dragon Ball bug. I have not appreciated this series since like the early 2000s. Right. And, you know, just just kind of seeing some of that world and some of those characters, I, you know, I just I, like I flipped open some of the manga online and, you know, watched a couple of clips from a few of the episodes to get hyped for the game. And let, let me ask you, Dan, what's your uh, what's your favorite Dragon Ball character? Um, You know, there's uh, some great guys. And I think before I think I told you, Mr. Popo, the like uh, all black guardian of one of the you know sacred places but um you know go tanks is pretty good the, the amalgamation of gohan and trunks did i already ask you this question maybe i did you did maybe and I, I, did. I said mr popo but i've now put an addendum in there um to just continue the narrative of what what does dank dan really like <laughs> did i say something at that point because i feel like i'm going to repeat my answer oh do I'm it just, do it throwback i'm just I'm so enamored with this character, Majin Buu. Oh, yeah, that's what exactly what you said before. Because he's the most immutable. What is this guy about? What does he want? No fucking clue. What are his he's motivations? Psycho. The guy eats people and turns them into chocolate. Like, it's just, watching this fucking guy, he's this giant pink blob who's allegedly, like, the most powerful being in the universe. And he turns from, like, a big, fat sultan into this jacked, worm, earthworm gym-looking guy into this, like, petulant child, all the while eating people and turning them into chocolate. Oh, like, and is, don't forget while having the consistency of bubblegum. Yeah, like he can like stretch him shit and like he's regenerative. I don't even know. The power fantasy of Dragon Ball Z is the craziest shit of all time. Like it's oh, just a wild The sky's world. the limit and then you find out there's three more skies above that and the original sky was bullshit the whole time. Let me tell you the arms race that occurs in popular fantasy is not an easy bridge to gap. No. Because generally speaking you reach a ceiling of power that it is very hard to convincingly broach. In fact, many like fantasy series die on the die on the sword in that way because they make their characters so powerful that nothing seems to be a, a meaningful threat any longer and it just it loses kind of its steam dragon ball z just like punches to the next layer of the stratosphere every single time it reaches that it's such a ridiculous property so ridiculous and, and it yet pro it promises every time to go above and beyond and let me amend my answer again i like the clint eastwood of the Dragon Ball universe, and that's Piccolo. Piccolo, yeah, the green dude with the ears. Just lock it in. Um, but anyway, so Dragon Ball Fighter Z uh, again is picking up steam all over the place. I'm excited to play it, but you know, again, I was in this mobile kick. And so I decided to see, because there is a large catalog of previous games, Dragon Ball Fighters, whatever. Um, and it should probably have been a warning sign that I've never heard anybody really talk about any of them with any level of affection. <laughs> Oh, you, you fucked up, sir. You fucked yeah. up. I think I did. So I was at Electronics Boutique, the local uh, Canadian GameStop, um, and they had a copy of Extreme Butoden or Butoden or whatever uh, on sale for $14.99. And that should have been my first sign. But I was like, ah, you know, it's Dragon Ball Z. Maybe it'll be fun. I thought I'd pick it up and see what the deal was. What a fucking crap sandwich. What a absolutely garbage game. It was just, I loaded it into my 3DS. 
you know, you want to play the campaign mode and kind of get into the characters, what have you. Most of the game are like shitty cutscenes that are just floating heads saying a bunch of nonsense. You have to be intimately familiar with the inner workings of Dra- the Dragon Ball Z narrative to know what the fuck is going on, which I guess makes sense because who the hell else is buying this crap game, right? But, you know, so, so I, I get through the first couple like dialogue scenes and getting to the fighter game, and it just feels like a clunky pile of smoking garbage. I don't know how else to describe it, you know? And so naturally, I jump into the versus mode and load up a team that's made of Majin Buu and who the fuck cares else, right? Um, and, you know, jump into a couple couple AI matches. That was garbage. I tried to jump online and play with some other people, but unsurprisingly, nobody's playing this game. So, um, yeah, it was... Uh, I couldn't, couldn't bear to listen to the crappy dialogue for the sake of working through the story mode. And I, um, yeah, I decided to pull it out of my 3DS, put it back in its package, and light it aflame. Now, Do not it, touch it. It sports like something like crazy uh, a roster of a hundred characters. No, that's not this game. That's not this game. That's that's some of the other Dragon Ball Z fighters. This, uh, I think, uh, Boo. Oh, the heck, Bujinki three or something. I thought. <laughs> I, I thought. Is this not uh, Dragon Ball Z Extreme uh, Budo Ten? Yeah, it's Extreme Budotet, but it's not. It's got like 23 characters. Nobody. There's 100 characters in this game. All right, whatever. I, I didn't get that far enough to, to unlock the 100 characters. Like, so, I know that there's, some, there's, a, there's a beloved one. It's like something three. I don't remember the name of it. That one has a diehard following, and it has like 100 characters, as you described. This one, maybe it does, but I can tell you, I don't think anyone's going through the main story or the campaign to unlock those guys, because it is a crap fest. See, this is how the game tricks you, is it's like over 100 characters is what it says. While that's technically true, the vast majority of them are non-playable. They're unlocked throughout the game as support characters, um, you know, or booze or cells or Cyberman support people. And you can select them only as like to back your character, uh, you know, in a support role. and then. You know, the game then scored them as like, you have a hundred selectable characters. But then, as you said, there's only like, there, there's much less. And, I, you know, it's, it's one right. of those, those things that just serves to disappoint and, uh, you know, dissuade you from playing. I just, I, you know, I just had no fun with it. And I've been watching a lot of Dragon Ball Fighter Z. And the visuals combined with what I anticipate, again, I haven't played it yet, but to be very tight gameplay, it looks like it's really tight gameplay. I watched a clip on Kotaku earlier today where there was like a back-to-back finisher where one dude disappeared and then another dude went to finish him off, but that guy disappeared. It was like, oh, kill me in my throat. Oh, hello. Wow. It was just, it was majestic watching it. Like, only the most diehard Marvel versus Capcom or, you know, Street Fighter fights look like that. And this Dragon Ball Z takes it up to the next level by having that additional outlandish, crazy finisher situation going on with all of the animation that goes on in that game. Um, and I guess, you know, just picking up this throwaway bargain bin <laughs> version of it uh, was probably the wrong way to go about it. Beginner friendly. Yep. If you played a fighting game before, uh, you're probably good to go. 420 friendly. It is not particularly, uh, not particularly conducive. It's just drab, dumb, shallow, and yeah, I just it, I never really felt powerful. That was the thing. The power fantasy is what Dragon Ball Z is all about. 
I did not feel did not feel powerful playing this game. So hard pass, hard pass didn't, on that guy. Didn't blow up any planets, eh? No planet blowing. Then what's the fucking point? What's what are we even point? doing here? Yeah, yeah, um, dude. Can I tell you about one more game just before we get into the smoke session? Actually, hell with it. Let's let's hit the smoke session. Maybe we can come back to my game. Maybe not. Why don't you do yeah, that? Yeah, that's a good plan. That's a good idea. Alrighty then, the thick cloud of mucus living in my head is beginning to take me over, Dan. I think it's time to medicate, <laughs> medicate and elevate, my friend. Let's get some of the Earth's medicine deep within you, and it'll either resolve all the ails you or lay you low permanently. I'm excited to see Yeah, I'm going to go with number two, but hey, let's have fun doing it. That's right. Um, oh. Goodness. Well, my man, I am very excited about my strain today. So I am a new patient of Broken Coast Cannabis Limited by out of Vancouver, uh, out of Vancouver, Canada. And these guys are reputed to have the the dopest dope you ever smoked in Canada. Uh, they have beautiful weed, my man. This came in yesterday. Um, you know, been taking a look at these big, bold, beautiful buds. And today I have a, uh, a gorgeous strain that they title Striker, which is actually, um, you know, it's, it's their house, their house grow Striker. It's uh, it's a star killer, um, strain star killer genetics by, Ooh, sorry. I don't have the, the information here, but, um, so this is a may I, may I tell you a little bit about this this star killer? Please do. Oh, uh, yeah. So this is a thirty percent sativa, seventy percent indica hybrid. So an indica dominant hybrid, and all of these nugs are big, bold, flowery fellas, uh, and they're just flaming red. Like I'm talking from a distance. There's a thick coating of fire engine red hairs all over this guy. Um, the frostiest nugs I, I may have ever seen cracking this guy open. It's got that nice kind of fudgy center. The trichomes are kind of jammy on my fingers. Um, the hairs are like glistening with little droplets. It is just a majestic sight and it's red, like red, red, red. It, and so let me get a, it sounds like a, like an exobiologist discovered this thing. Now the, the redness yeah. really makes it feel otherworldly. Yeah, well, I don't know what an exobiologist is, but I'm sure they're very smart. Uh, let me have a sniff here. Let me get the let me get the old schnoz on this guy. They deal with space creatures, Andy. Oh God. So okay, there's a there's a pronounced sweetness in here. A little bit of diesel. A little bit of that diesel. Um, and I'm getting just a little bit of. Well, I don't know if it's sour. I think diesel is more of the. Okay, I'm gonna go sweet, floral, and diesel-y. You know, it's it's got that like kind of big, robust floral note in the nose, like just the sweetest of flowers, right? Almost, almost a little candy-like, and then uh, a little bit of diesel on the end. Oh, what a majestic beauty! I cannot wait, cannot wait to try this guy out. What do you got for us today, Dan? 
But today I'm working with a greenhouse blend, which sounds like a, like a very standard cup of coffee you would uh, obtain what? at like uh, a fair trade establishment. <sighs> Sorry, this is a real this is a real strain. It's called Greenhouse Blend. Yeah, uh, did you want a Grande Greenhouse Blend? <laughs> Greenhouse Blend sounds like sounds like the kind of tea that your I don't know your great aunt or a client a client gives you in a in kind of a throwaway gift basket around the holidays. Mm-hmm. Comes with like a bar of all natural soap and some I don't know shitty chocolates it's a box of chocolates that looks like it should have 15 chocolates in it but there's only like three it you know what it doesn't to me it's nothing so spurious as that this is like an old standard this is like the one you can wake up and have every morning and it gets you there you know what i mean it's not it's not too much it's it's, it's exactly kind of find foundational um weed that that you'd need and i've just ground some up here and i, I still have the nug um the nug it is uh you know Trichomed pretty thick. There's these little clusters of brown trichomes. They seem to be congregating for safety um, in the uh, margins here. And uh, between them is some light but very uh, uh, crystalled um, uh, uh, buds. And if I squeeze it, it's firm. It's firm and it's a little bit, it's a little bit moist. It, it somehow is both dry and moist at the same time. And it's really blowing my mind um, in that way. And what's weird about this is I smelling the bud, I couldn't get one, even one clear note, like not one. So, you know, as I ground it up here and I, and I have it in front of me, I get a note. It is the it. smell of uniformity. There is such a, such a blend of flavors here and it's such a perfect word for it. So on the nose, there is both like a, like a lemon pine and like a flower and like like almost like a like a basil smell and like your very common like earthy woody smell but it's like i think i just said six things right yeah that's a lot of that's a lot of things and, and, and like a lot of description and like i think that maybe why they call it a blend because what I smell from it is everything. It's almost quicker not to, to tell you what I don't smell. I don't smell any berry. I don't smell any sour diesel. And there's no cheese whatsoever. It's a cheeseless. Um, Dairy-free. Dairy-free. Dairy-free <laughs> blend. Um, but it, it is this weird, uh, co- like, uh, it's, it's got this weird duality in terms of its like physical composition. It is both light and thick. Like, it's a kind of bud when you pick it up, it's so light. But this is a fucking, this is like the Buddha fucking it's bud It's so here, weird. Man. It's, like, it's so, it's it so light. You, transcendental and yet so present. When you pick, it is both <laughs> opaque and yet clear. Like, <laughs> when you pick it up, it's light enough that it, when you feel weed this light, when you squeeze it, you expect it to crumble to dust because it's turned to nothing. But it's got this like thick, thick mass. I Bizarre. I the bud, what are you? And in the distance, all I heard was my own name. Everything. Everything. Uh, yeah, that's cool, man. <laughs> Sounds like, uh, sorry, what's the name of your strain again? Uh, Blase Green Bullshit? It's um, Go Fuck Your Judgmental Bullshit, You Piece of Garbage. I mean, Greenhouse Blend. Green, <laughs> greenhouse. Let me see if I can Google this I and feel find like, anything. I feel like I need to weed. cool it, Andy. I feel like I need to cool it. Get a little sharp. I'm sorry, dude. You're... <clears throat> 
waxing poetic to me about your transcendental greenhouse. Well, I'm like plan. I'm like trying to put like you've seen my you've been present for my previous reviews. They've been like lemon haze and uh, you know like Turkish delight and like they like what they are is like very clear. I've been putting it on easy mode for the most part, but this thing has hit me with so much at once. Uh, I'm sorry to cough into your ear. You're not. You've done this on purpose with the malice of forethought. All right, whatever. Plain old weed. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give Starkiller a shot here. (laughs) Uh, Starkiller, name of, I think, one of the original... Arena combatants in Knights of the Old Republic. How about this? Bendak Starkiller. The original name for Luke Skywalker was Luke Starkiller. You're kidding. You're kidding. I did not know. Yeah, buddy. All right. Let's fire this guy up. One second. Why don't you tell me about Starkiller while I go to the go to the races on this guy? Okay. Starkiller, winner of Best Hybrid Flower at the 2016 Ooh, Colorado Cannabis Cup is a 70% indica-dominant hybrid that crosses Skywalker OG and rare dankness number two. The dense purple buds offer a sweet lemon flavor and aid in treating pain, insomnia, AIDS, PTSD, and gastrointestinal disorder. Medium to high yields can be achieved both indoors and outdoors within a flowering time of 65 days. Jeremy fucking irons. <laughs> I was going to say that's very smooth. <laughs> and then. And then. No, I think it is actually quite smooth. I'm just uh, suffering. In a the, diminished. The of a you're in a diminished state. I mean, listen, the flavor was was all at once. Both um, pungent and yet very pleasantly smooth. So I, I have to take it off to Starkiller and to the good folks over at Broken Coast. This is a beautiful bud. Uh, what are the flavor notes on this guy? Well, what do you taste there, Big Kahuna? Well, I mean, it really is an amalgamation of a little bit of that sweetness. I'm getting a bit more of the diesel on the exhale. Diesel. Um, but, but there's diesel. Diesel. The diesel. The diesel. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. What, what, what are the flavor notes? Hey, Andy, say it absurd. Absurd. Okay, gotcha. Um, buddy, on this one, you got both earthy, citrus, and the subset of citrus, lemon. Lemon. Uh, right. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, man. Guys, I, I feel like I've taken you on a journey in your headphones here down the uh, the the disparaging respiratory tract that is my reality. Um, thank you for thank you for being here for this experience. I feel like I could easily diagnose you with a, a pulmonary obstructive disorder from this audio recording alone. Yeah, there you go. Keep it on record. Keep it on record. All right, my man. Why don't you go ahead and fire up bland blend? Why are you hating on this? You never hated on a strain before, and now you're coming so hot on this one. What's the deal? I just, I, I, I like that it's called Greenhouse Blend. And actually, now that I've, uh, now that I've found some information on it, kind of neat. Let me, Why don't you go let ahead. Me, let me, let me cheat down on this. And while I do, I want you to formulate your apology to this fine herb. 
Yeah, I will. I will formulate an apology with no uh, bullshit accent free. Bullshit accent free. Um, Greenhouse Blend, also known as Greenhouse OG, is a clone only indica dominant hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to take that from the top there, Kimo Sabre? No, no, no. Hybrid <laughs> strain that is exclusive to a single dispensary in Pacific Beach, California, near San Diego. Interesting. Although it's a rare find, Greenhouse Blend is a local patient favorite descendant of OG Kush, grown in an all-organic greenhouse. Incredibly strong and long-lasting, fueled by a powerful 18 to 23% average THC level Uh-oh. that can prove overpowering in novice users. Andy, <laughs> we going to have a problem. Oh, dear. The buzz will slowly ebb throughout the rest of your body in tingly waves, leaving you completely sedated and couch-locked with a sharp pang of hunger that will have you eating anything you can find. That is, if you can get off the couch. Andy, you running this, this, you running this podcast solo at this point. Oh, dear. This full-body stone will last for two hours or more and can leave some users falling asleep almost immediately after toking a few times. Nice. Andy, this, uh, this bud, <laughs> you're in deep shit, my friend. This bud has an earthy, lemony flavor of sweet pine and herbs and an aroma of cushy herbs and woody earth with a pungent effect that uh, looks like it continues on, released as the nugs are broken apart. Dense and leafy, bright neon green, small round nugs with amber hairs and a frosty, thick coating of golden, milky trichomes. Uh, so, oh my word, the Starkiller base has just been destroyed. Yes, welcome all your base. So, Andy, flavors, etc. What are the flavors we're dealing with here? Uh, I just, I think I just read them. Okay, earthy lemony flavor of sweet pine and herbs. So, there you go. It's like it's the it's the five flavor discount. It's citrus, earthy, floral, spicy, woody, herbal. Yes, it is all lemon, of those things. Lemon, pine, sweet. This weed is all the things. Ex- it's everything except the uh, cheese, diesel, sour. Hey, man, I think you. I think we got to phone that one in as well done. Uh, you know, it's one of these things. There's what do you smell? It's easier to tell you what I don't smell. Oh uh, yeah, oh uh, yeah, dude. I uh, I don't know about you, but so this this star killer has settled in mighty fierce. I've got a nice relaxation going on in my forehead. Um, and honestly, I think what I can say about this strain, without a doubt, is it has removed every ounce of anxiety from my body. I, it, it is, uh, I can only describe as don't give a fuck weed. So that is, uh, that is uniquely wonderful. Um, and I just, yeah, you know, I don't feel too stony. I'm not too spacey, right? But I, I've, got a, I've got a nice chilled out cerebral situation going on. Yeah, you know what? I've uh, lost the ability to do long division, but what has happened is someone has gently inserted a hot plate into my sternum, turned it on to about oh, yeah. seven, and prepared what I can only imagine is a can of glasses beans to be placed there uh, as soon as it comes up to speed. Oh, that's a cozy thought. Yeah. That's very cowboy. That's sure. very American Midwest. Yeah. I was thinking more like golden griddle. You know, is there anything is there anything more comforting than the word griddle? <laughs> I, all I could think was girdle, and then I thought, mm, less comforting, less 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 comforting. Just think of a griddle. 
What, what, what do you think of when you think of a griddle? You think of warm, fluffy pancakes. Here's what I think. I'm about to get pancakes, and that is a warming uh, uh, you know, feeling. And what I think is, the only question in my mind is, is going to be strawberries? We got some blueberries, some chocolate in there. What's going down yeah, on this? I feel this? like you're, you're dealing more of a butter and, and maybe a little bit of whipped butter, in fact, situation. Whip, whipped butter, whipped and, butter? And, and syrup. Whipped butter. You're going to whip me whipped up some butter? butter? Whipped. <laughs> Whipped, equipped. Um, what do you have for your munchie today, dude? I have a beautiful, a beautiful heart-shaped rice crispy here, covered in a little bit of icing and some sprinkles. Hold on, full stop. Did you say a heart shape? Yes, this is a homemade special. Andy, when would you say the manufacture date of that particular heart shape? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Someone in my house did bake this on the on or around the second of February, but it is only the 26th of February, meaning 24. No big deal when it comes to rice krispies. Andy, just so this is the court stenographer got that. Can you repeat the number of dates since this thing that has is been a 20, accepted? a 22, yeah, 24, 24 day old rice krispie. That I that just <sighs> just so uh, for the record is, is about. Two fortnights since that. Two fortnights since that uh, rice. Cr- it's Fortnite. Fortnite it's like your. It's like your. It's like your estranged uncle. That's the amount of time he shows up for. Uh, just a perfect amount of time for them to make a, a, a heartwarming comedy about. You know, uh, just as compounds have many states in uh, in this universe, I have chosen to represent your rice crispy in a uh, completely different state. Uh, I have achieved. Uh, Something called the toasted coconut marshmallow, made by the good people at Manischewitz, a quality product since 1888. I believe that's Manischewitz. I will defer to your better knowledge. This Rice Krispie Square is banging, just so we're all aware. What's the level of crunch that you have on a scale of 1 to 10? So, it's just stale enough that it knows what it is. And then it lowers my expectations to the point that it can hit me in the tongue with a beautiful, even covering of frosting. I love the ability of sugar to make something last forever. And when the prime characteristic of your product is, am I hard and crunchy? Yes, I am. And I'm comprised of only rice, air, and sugar. I'm going to get you there every time, Brohan. I wish I could talk to you, but my mouth is too full. Um, Andy, I have the diametric opposite, so I'm going to pop this uh, toasted coconut goddess into my mouth. No! If we both have things in our mouth, how can we podcast? Well, let me tell you, my thing is soft as can be. Oh, yeah, you're right, pillowy even. I I can almost hear the texture of that marshmallow. I have a cloud in my mouth right now. Yeah. Nice. Nice. How's the toasted coconut? Is that note coming through? Well, like every woman you've ever been with, they can have some you totally in their mouth and speak with a clear speaking voice. I don't know how we got to women on a toasted coconut marshmallow. How can you not? <coughs> um, uh. Good news. This has got low sodium, no cholesterol, and low fat. No word on oh. the sugar content on this. Advertising blurb. <laughs> they've kept that the, real the close to the. That one. They've kept that real close to the chest. 
<laughs> oh man. Well, I uh, had no packaging on my on my savory sweetness. Um, the packaging for your product was the forethought thought of love and Valentine's Day. Yeah, it was uh, it was a Ziploc baggie of delight. Hey, good news! On the back of this, what's the good news? On the back of this uh, warlock, we got a recipe for s'mores. Oh, s'mores! And all very you, nice. All you need is five minutes of prep time, three minutes to broil, and eight of these little brilliant soft pillows of delightfulness, and you can make. What is described as the Manny Matzo s'mores. Manny Matzo s'mores. All right. Because Manny knows right, how to lay it Manny, Manny knows how to s'more. He knows there how to s'more. Give me a schmeckle of s'mores. He knows how to s'more. A schmeckle of s'mores. So I played Persona 4 Golden on the plane. I feel like I'm yelling right now. Let me just take it down a <laughs> I feel like I'm yelling. <laughs> I played Persona 4 Golden. I fired it up when we got in the air. Um... Here's the real bitch about playing Persona 4 on the PS Vita. Came out in August of 2011. You know, generally you look back that far in a game that still has some modern conventions and you think to yourself, is this going to feel out of date? And refreshingly, reassuringly, reassuringly, beautifully, it does not. Feels very next level. Um, The biggest challenge with Persona 4 is that it actually precludes me from playing Persona 5 so because weird. They're both 100 hour, it's so weird. They're both Andy, 100 who mailed you Persona 4 in the mail in a blank envelope? Who was that? So for the, if those of you that don't know, Dank Dan and I have a bet that if I don't beat Persona 5 by July 1st, I owe him a standard MSRP 70, 75 You owe game. me the AAA game of my choice, Yon right. Sir, if you were to look listen to the That's tapes. Right. And for the record, I think you're going to do it. Got this thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Either way, Persona 4 is yet another 100-hour game that I've taken on and that I'm really digging. In fact, the sad bit is that I've played about, say, 10 hours more of Persona 4 than of Persona 5, and of Persona 5, I've only played for five hours. So <laughs> I think I'm in big trouble when it comes to delivering on that bet. You're doing that fine. Being- yeah, well, whatever. I'm, I'm enjoying it, really digging it. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to talk to you, but it hurts. Andy, I've uh, discovered a disturbing detail about these fine, pillowy dreams. The last ingredient on on the the, the bag is really off-putting. It's fish gelatin. Oh, no! Oh, God, that's horrific. That's the last thing you ever want to see in your confectionery. Andy, how do you get get gelatin from a fish, bro? I, I don't know how you squeeze the gelatin from a fish, but I'm sure it's not pretty. The thing about, no, it was just normal gelatin. And it came from a cow. I can picture what a cow looks like. Oh, maybe it's brown. Maybe it's black and white. Maybe it's black. I don't know. But fish, that, that scope's too big, dude. Way too big. Is it a tuna? Is it a t- is it a is it a minnow? Red-breasted, red-breasted milkwits. What you got there? Snapper? You got a snapper? What you got there uh, an orange tootsie? And I haven't been fishing very much. Well, you're doing fine. No, you you're coming across like a real angler, my friend. Yes, <laughs> was it a that, trout? Was, that was the. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know what you do to the fish to extract the requisite amount of gelatin for a marshmallow because that's a pretty gelatinous food. I hope he at like you just ask him and he gives you one of his spare gelatin portions that he yes. has on him as a fish person. 
Like, hello, Mr. Salmon. Can I have some gelatin? Well, of course, I have some here in my gelatin carrying sack. You're easily donated. Ugh. It's just, yeah, I mean, sacks. I knew it was going to sacks. And who wants to who wants to pawn a sack off a fish, really? No one wants that. No one wants that. And, mm, you know, no. you could pay the fish, but what is he going to do with fish dollars? You know he's getting fed in that flake, that sweet, sweet fish flake. Give me some of that flake. Give me some yeah, of that flake. Yeah. Either way, Persona, it's funny because I'm reading through my notes on Persona 4, and they look a lot like the notes on uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I know I didn't give that one the most glowing review of all time, um, but a lot of the systems that make Shin Megami Tensei 4 uh, playable and fun are what make Persona 4 a truly amazing game because it's got that weakness exploiting system. It's got that persona or demon fusion system uh, that I was talking about earlier on. This game just has a much more balanced approach at difficulty. Still challenging, still stretching my resources, causing me to fail on a few of the bosses. But otherwise, it feels nice and fair and balanced. It's got, you know, it's dripping, dripping with atmosphere. It's, it's I, I guess you would call it a murder mystery. Um, and I don't know what it is about the setting around, you know, adolescent uh, folks who are, you know, making their way through the world and also battling demons. But there's something there that's like authentic and appealing uh, in a way that it's not quite as on the nose as taming demons in dungeons. You know what I mean? Um, do you know what I mean? It splits the difference for uh, Shin Megami and like playing a game about teenage angst. Apparently, just one or the other straight flop. But you put them together, it's like peanut butter and jelly, my friend. You're ready to that's rock it, buddy. and roll. It brings it up just a, just a notch, and you know there's a social simulator aspect, and it's done in a really non cheesy kind of way. Like, let me rephrase: it's cheesy, but just enough that it's self aware, right? And so when you're going around, and and one of the beautiful things about Persona Four is that you're not only leveling your own demons and or personas and and helping them become better at fighting and fusing them and whatever, you're also leveling up your relationships with the people in the game. Because they're all affiliated with a certain type of persona, and as your relationship uh, or your bond thickens, um, your abilities and, and the bonuses to that specific type of persona grow. And so, it, you know, this this gameplay loop is really interesting and really contrasting because you go from being a normal teenager going to basketball practice and working your part time job, which sounds mundane, except for the fact that the very real drama and conversation that you have with your fellow classmates then translates into this you know nightmarish hellscape on the other side of the of the coin where you're fussing around with with horrific creatures doing battle in in deep hallways of despair and regret and those things just you know they just tie together in a in a way that's wholly satisfying there's something to be said about the blending of the ordinary and the fantastical that like just has a little bit of attraction to it because uh, you kind of get relieved of duty of getting exhausted by either of them. Andy, let me ask you, what do you feel about a game that asks you to become buds with people on like a regular basis? Like it's a core game mechanic. You're like, hey, maybe you want to be friends with these guys. Um, it's a great question because prior to playing Persona, I would have told you, get the fuck out of here with that. You know, the the 
social simulator thing, whether it's been in flash games on new grounds, you know, the ones guys <laughs> flash games on new grounds, cut. the ones with a happy, Deep internet cut. With a happy ending. Yeah. Um, back in, you know, whatever early two thousands or whether it's been, you know, uh, an animal crossing or a persona or whatever, those social simulators have literally never appealed to me. Uh, and for some reason in this game, it just, why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? Like no, thank you. No, in this game, it just it it just feels like a it feels like a more authentic thing, and I I don't know. It's it's tough to put a put a button on it. Maybe I'm just a softy. Um, you know, sometimes being friends, all the only little push you need is knowing that you're going to get some measurable bonuses from that activity. Sometimes that's all you need out of a relationship. Why are you friends with the redheaded kid named Robbie around the corner? It's kind of a dick. He makes me better at demons. He's got a he's got a psychogenesis, and you know sometimes you gotta swallow your pride and play a video game. Man, this Star Killer is a beautiful strain. Mm. Just had one other one one more little hoot on it, and you know I I will say that that lemony diesel in the back of my throat it hits every single time I gra- I pull from it, but the exhale is so smooth. And it adds just enough onto your level of um, elevation that you can feel it, but not enough to disorient you. It's a really beautiful straight. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Yeah. Yeah. He, he sw- swept in with his, his lightsaber and we are blasting off to the galaxy. George, um, George, that dialogue. Ooh, buddy. Uh, it's, ooh. It's, you you got to really, as an actor, you really got to sell that. Let me let me give you the summary on Persona 4 so we can move on. Beginner friendly. <laughs> this fucking game eases you into it and gives you um, an even better explanation on the core systems of it than P5 does. It takes forever for this game to open up. You're into it like for four hours before you get into an actual gameplay loop of combat. Like four hours where it's basically a visual novel. And that might turn you off, but I say to you, stick through it. It's not really a challenge to stick through it. It's quite enjoyable uh, because when it gets into that back and forth of like visual novel storytelling and gameplay, it is a double threat that that is not to be um, not to be underestimated. And is it 420 friendly? Nope. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. It is. And let me tell you why. Because of the very best part of the Persona series. Hit me, buddy. Which is how, how insanely good the soundtracks are. Oh, yes. The soundtracks are fire. I keep hearing that. Buddy, they are fired to the highest level. Love like it. To the point where the entire month of January, I had the Persona 5 soundtrack on loop in my office throughout my day. That's, that's how you I know it's into the, That's how you know that's it's That's how you know it's good. It's unintrusive, but it's in the back of your mind, and it's to the point where you don't notice it while you're playing, and yet, when you go to bed that night, it's still there lulling you into a false sense of security. And now, one of the previous ones that I, I'd seen, it had like a really funky vibe to it does this have some of that funk yeah man they the uh persona soundtrack is not afraid to throw a little grease on it oh you know? man um it gets moody but it's more often light electric a little bit poppy got that funk in it uh straight like earworm lounge beats i love that that subverts the genre and that's what you need in like some tracks and gaming that are so well worn we've all played these great rpgs that are like and you're like yeah i get that that's battle music things are happening my guys are bobbing left and right 
But then when it goes, I'm gonna thunder, I'm like, oh, this this game isn't afraid to get funky on me. It's approaching yeah. from the left and striking from the right, and it's taking me down Ooh. a path that, like, maybe uh, is delightful and refreshing. You know, uh, and I love when a genre can give you what you came for oh, while yeah. artfully toying with this stuff. That you didn't even know was permeable. You know what I mean? Girl, you bad. Oh, you've been there before. You've been there before. That's yeah, man. You're 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 on it. You're on a level there for sure. Because the soundtrack is what makes this game and takes it next level. And as a guy who in the past has played with the sound off in video games, big mistake, by the way. Enjoy the sound, guys. Put it on full blast because it is worth it in most games. What are you, a serial um, killer? <laughs> I'm the kind of guy who doesn't ever need to hear music and comes home and gets hugged by a robot. Man, I love Mario with the sound off. Get the off. I have a I have a small bubble of solitude in the middle of my house that I sit in for 16 hours at a time until I have to go out into the real world. Um, no, it's yeah, it's it's quite the, uh, the quite the thing when you go from not listening to the music or or the sound in a video game. And often it was like because I was playing an MMO or because I was playing you know a mobile game or whatever, and I just just didn't have an opportunity to to get deep into the sound. But boy, is it ever a game changer when you've got a game like Persona that has such a memorable soundtrack. I, I just picture you looking over a development team, and you're like, AI, uh, yeah, you're here. Art directors, yeah, come on, come on in here. Multiplayer, yep, thanks for coming. Um, hey, sound, you're all fucking fired. <laughs> Get your shit. No, not just the sound of FX, guys. You, composers, too. Yeah, I see your cello. I see you. Get the fuck out of here. Oh man, you're so right. No, I would be I would be the kind of terrible person that would just crack office jokes at them all the time like, "Oh yeah, well I see we're all on break, but hey, the sound guys are pretty much always there." But you know the <laughs> My, my love out to sound guys because that's entirely not the case. Hey Andy, I really think we've got the chime sound right on those on those coin blocks. I mean, we really just tuned it in of all the you know eight bit tones that we can produce, fifty four thousand uh, variations of channels. Let's get. Just, hey, what do you think of it? Oh, hmm, um, really good, guys. Really, really good. Really kind of <laughs> sounds like that, um, like a falling bag of sand. Bag of sand. You like haven't heard so, it. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I saw an email on that. I tried to download. I think it was an MP3 oh, or something, but goes, it wouldn't play. Ding. <laughs> la, la. <laughs> a wooga. A wooga. Oh man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Poor, poor sound guys. Poor, Sam, poor guys. sound guys. You work so hard. And accomplish so little. No, well, Andy, I'm glad the antipsychotics that were put ground up and put in your oatmeal of thought made you think to yourself, maybe this music thing's got something. <laughs> it's so true, buddy. It's so true. One day I woke up and I was like, I want to stop hating humanity and enjoy life again. And it turns out music was all that was between me and that. Andy, it's so majestic. People didn't invent it. Birds did. <laughs> Oh, wow. Who also invented, inventions include the power of flight. I don't think they invented that. I think that was the Wright brothers. Um, yeah, I think so. And I mean, less honorable mentions, uh, having no control over when you shit. 
um, also <laughs> participated by your your grandpappy. But don't bring it up because he, your peepaw, sucker punched the Fuhrer back in aught 42. So don't give me your sass. Yeah, listen, peepaw, you still got it, bro. I still got it. You're the man, and I don't care who knows it. I don't care who knows it. Have you seen this reverse gravity bong that uh, Seth Rogen's been smoking out of lately? You should check out his Instagram. It is a fucking trip. Do you remember those water bottle bongs that we used to make back in like university? You remember that shit? Yeah, is it a reverse gravity bong just a normal bong? No. Well, uh, that's a great question. This one specifically is, it looks almost Does like it, an upside down Because a gravity glass. bong produces a blowing motion by a like a downward motion downward motion upset so a, a reverse gravity bong seems to just suck which is what a normal bong does it's just 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 calm yourself for a minute right. basically what it has is it you know remember those little like volcano things that you're not volcanoes, oh, volcanoes? Like, little, no what was the the fucking science experiment that you're you're teaching uh, hepatitis in, like, b test no no take it down it's like two two liter bottles of coke and they they fit uh, them the together Mem- they, the mentos challenge don't think that's it. Um, they, oh, come on. You know, they take the two two-liter bottles, they screw them together in the middle, and then they juggle water in between. Any whatever. Improvised explosive device. That's it. So this reverse gravity bong looks like an hourglass. They use centrifugal uh, force. shaped um, I don't know if that's a word, but uh, basically what happens is you've got liquid in one of the two containers, and when you flip it upside down, it draws off of the bowl, and so it fills the top chamber with smoke, and then when you flip it upside down again, what happens is the water pushes all of the smoke out through another nozzle. So basically, you draw the bong in with water, and then you flip it over, and it shoots all of the smoke out through a nozzle that you could theoretically have one, two, three, four, five people drawing off of at a time. Oh, right? wow. Yeah, it is a real wild looking machine. Um, and I, this thing has several million views on Instagram. It kind of went viral. So it's uh, it's pretty neat, pretty neat little contraption. I'm excited to see it in the wild. Query, is it made with expert precision or is it made with a kind of hillbilly haphazard brilliance? No, man, this thing looks like a looks like a spaceship, buddy. It's got some it's got some expert design behind it. It looks very ergonomic and scientific. Does it look like it was made by a sort of father race to humanity that seeded our existence a millennia ago? Uh cannot confirm nor deny. Have you seen this Bayonetta three thing that was announced recently for I th- I want to say it's for, for Switch two? No, buddy. It's not for Switch Two. It's for Switch exclusively. Oh, really? I, it blows my mind. When did Nintendo get into the Bayonetta game? Because they dipped yeah. their, two, their toe in with the remake of 1 and 2, to which I raised an eyebrow and I said, what are you editing out of this game? Because right, Bayonetta don't mess around. No, man. Bayonetta is the half-nude, hair-wearing... You know, uh, hypersexualized female protagonist, which is all good and well on a PlayStation title, but does not feel like a Nintendo. Never mind a Nintendo exclusive. That's crazy. Yeah, it 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 has all the things that Nintendo hates. Uh, uh, right, guns, except for money. Right. Well, because it's going to make some money. Uh, if you if you count the Wii U as evidence, I'd say maybe sometimes they hate money. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, snap. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree with you on that assessment. Right. So, I mean, Bayonetta is a woman that, as part of her uh, Subaru set, maybe gets her clothes cut off, but then forms another whole separate suit. And, uh, somehow both represents extreme, extreme sexual empowerment, but also, like, girl power. And uh, yeah. let's let's say that let's say that. I'm, do you did you see that uh, Andy paid me five dollars before this segment to not say anything he had to cut out as a favor to yeah. him? We're we're on a very tight editing schedule a here, my very friend. Very tight editing schedule. Let's keep it away from anything hypersensitive. Away from the ledge. So they dipped their toe with the remake of one and two, and now have put their entire name on number three. Is the uh, I don't know if they have uh, you know maybe there'll be a remake. Once the license runs out in a couple of years for PS4 and, and maybe Xbox, but I I didn't see this coming, Andy. No, I didn't see it coming either, man. And that's uh, pretty cool. I, I you know I think so. I haven't played Bayonetta's uh, one or two yet. Um, I'm definitely going to pick up the remaster for the Switch. Right. And yeah, maybe Bayonetta three isn't too far behind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. I'm going to have to uh, get a little peep on your uh, screen over there. Peep my screen, my dude. Peep my screen. Um, Leafly had a fun article out recently, maybe appropriate for this evening, Dan, depending on how deep you got into on the generic green number two. Uh, how to counteract a too intense cannabis high. Our friends over at Leafly have decided to put together a little infographic without too many words so you can remember in those deep throws of a green out uh, what to do. So do you want to do you want to do you want to walk through these real quick? I think that would be great. Number one is don't panic. And they've cited the immutable line from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Don't panic. You are fine and everything is OK. I want to say that this is probably the most important one. Uh, so important. A one, buddy. A one. I got to be honest with you. There are very few things in life where you can sit back and say, I am 100% going to be fine in this instance. There is no chance of me dying from this experience. Hell, you could be on a bus and you're probably more likely to to butt up against the uh, the you know the Grim Reaper. Um, when you smoke weed, there is literally a zero percent chance of you dying. I, I, you know, and uh, caveat: that's, uh, anything to do with this weed, and like, yeah, just remember, you okay? Yeah, all right. Yeah, you good. You good. So that's the one thing. You're in the headspace where you can be experiencing some, at times, what can be some um, overstimulated physical sensations, right? If if you've gone too deep on a nug. But the one thing in those moments that always brings me back to center and always makes me uh, feel more clear, and it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, remembering that I am completely fine in this moment and then THC has never killed anybody. Never killed anybody. Uh, Never killed a soul. It's a great way to go. Um, the second one is know your limits. Yeah. And boy, is that ever good advice. Get your dosage straight. Get your dosage right. I mean, Dan, are you uh, where are you at right now, man? What's what's your what would you say your dosage level is at typically? Oh, I I I take it real light. I'm a I'm a real mild uh, approacher. And even if I smoke multiple times, I'm always gonna just just dip my toes in. Yeah, I'm in exactly the same boat. You know, I'm not a fan of giant bong rips, although, you know, there's a time and a place. Sure. But generally, it's it's not, um, you know, not on a Tuesday. And, you know, I, I've got my little Sherlock pipe. I like to pack a nice little micro bowl, probably no more than, you know, 10 or 20% of a gram, a tenth or 
a 20th. I don't even know sure. if that's a thing, but yeah, yeah, just a little bowl, just a little bowl to get me going. And it's just enough to, um, just enough to create those desirable elevated effects without butting anywhere close to, you know, the, the kind of uncomfortable highness. Yeah. You, know? you just give it a little, little, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, man, this whole this whole podcast is sounding like a jazz album. There's so much scat going on that I can't tell the the dialogue from the diatribe. You know what I'm saying? I do. I love this picture. Um, on one hand, she's holding the tiniest of J's, and in the other hand, she has what can only be described as a 15 inch cigar, <laughs> a blunt, if you will. Oh, that is, buddy. That is not a blunt. I, I think anybody smoking a cigar of that magnitude with uh, with weed inside is probably setting themselves up for a one way ticket to outer space. Um, number three is hydrate. You know, water, I gotta tell bro. you, get some H two O in you. It's an easy one. Right. It's an easy one to forget. <laughs> water makes your body immediately go, "Hey, I'm cool, man. Everything's all right." That's that's a little little signal to your brain that if you're drinking, it can't be that bad. You know, right, right. Unless, what unless you're like, from here? I don't know, a gazelle or a water buffalo about to be mercilessly slaughtered at the oasis by a tiger. Oh, wow. Hey, man, that's not the information I need right now. I'm trying to no. not, I'm trying to not panic. <laughs> well, if you want to not panic, we've already talked about chewing on a black peppercorn. Really works. And we won't go back to the well there. But no. suffice to say, you green it out, reach for a black peppercorn. Chew it in your mouth. Black Put it in your mouth hole. Black peppercorn is nature's smelling salts. That's it, man. That's it. Keep calm and rest. Oh, we've got a we've got a nice little lady in the uh, in the fetal position on the couch. <laughs> I've done this. I've done this a time or two. It's so true. Sometimes you just need to close your eyes and lay back for a little while, especially if you're couch locked with a a very potent India India India. Killing it. Killing it. You know. All the way. Um, what I like oh. about this photo is there is both a uh, like a ficus in the background and what I can only assume is a picture of a llama. Uh, that's a picture of a cactus. You might be right, buddy. Might be yeah, right. take a bath or a shower, take a walk or distract yourself. Those are the last three. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's sound advice. Uh, finding some way to um, increase your physicality and get out of your head is probably probably among the best tactics when you're experiencing something a little too potent, right? Um, you know, sometimes a movie can help. Sometimes it can hinder. So switch it up. You know, get physical, get sedentary in a bath, watch a movie, try, cycle through the three, see where you land. I like that. And you know what? Like, it's funny because if you're assisting someone who's gone over the limit, and, and chances are you will, whether it's... Uh, or fair green, or anything that they've overindulged on. If you go, hey, let's let's lay down and have a rest, and they're like, no, I can't. You're like, all right, let's take a walk. Like you just go the exact other way. You're like, we're gonna get, we're gonna deal with this energy somehow. We're gonna redirect yeah. it. And we're gonna make it our friend. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You sound like a great a great pal to be greening out next to. Oh, dang, damn. I'm I'm the one actually that runs around you, uh, uh, you know, uh, waving my hands in your face. And, and saying nightmare, 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 nightmare. <laughs> That's terrible. That's I've got. To, I'm having a stre- a waking stress dream. <laughs> best kind. The best kind. Those ones can't wake up from. Nah, dog. Nah, dog. Um, 
You know what? Hats off to Las Vegas. They have come out with something that I'm a big fan. McCarran Airport, the main hub, the uh, the old skybox squawk town um, of getting in and out of Las Vegas. They've now come out with some what they what they dub weed amnesty boxes. So this is giant green containers where you can dispose of all of your weeds safely and without judgment before you get into the security line at the airport. This is next level, man. This is some next level hospitality for the American weed smoker. You know what I mean? It's hearing loud and clear. They're just like, oh, we just don't want to deal with this at all. We just don't want it to deal with this at all. We don't, we don't need to send anybody to the slammer. We just want this to not interrupt our business of putting metal birds in the sky. I mean, listen, like, can you imagine weed's been legal since what? Uh, January is, I think, when they started um sorry january of last year has it been a full year already feels like it i don't know whatever january july whatever it was uh, and you can only imagine how many passengers every single day were getting taken to secondary we're having the the whole fucking shakedown because they forgot a joint or a spliff or a you know three gram bag of of your your dank dank in their carry-on and uh you know what, what do you do when you're in an airport that has to deal with that several times a day i can imagine it's a very disruptive and b just way too much paperwork man I mean, and it's one of those things that, you know, what's the argument against these? You, you want, you don't want people to have less weeds, weeds, less weed pot on planes. Like, and, and it's great for the consumer because, you know, if you're flying to Cuba and you accidentally have grass on you, you know, that might end your day real early or other South American uh, destinations where it suddenly becomes that would be a big problem. Yeah. No, thank you. Goodbye. Oh. It's Riyadh, uh, and they're going to cut the... off my hands. That's unfortunate. <laughs> well, that's a strange local custom. They just Quirky. safety first, right? Safety first, always. So here's a game uh, with a little bit of sad news. Did you ever play Dawn of War, my friend? Uh, that's the, the Warhammer uh, strategy game, yeah? Yeah, well, it was a Warhammer real-time strategy game set in the grim, dark future of the 41st millennium where there is only war. And, um, you know, I, I remember picking this up in like 2005, maybe 2006, uh, and playing it nonstop LAN, um, you know, throughout, throughout the winter. And it was an amazing game. It had a Dawn of War two, which I think focused a little bit more on the RPG elements. I think that came out in 2011 or 2012. And I think they released a Dawn of War three. Um, a year ago in 2016 or a year and a half ago in 2016, which has not which has unfortunately not garnered the same level of uh, of interest as the other two games. So they're canning development on it. Relic is saying no more. Uh, I think there's only four playable factions, which is a real shame for a Warhammer forty thousand game because the you know the the real appeal of that IP is in, in the variety of its factions. Um, and it's going to uh, yeah, it's going to die a slow death on the vine. So Dawn of War three. We salute you. It's one of those titles that's like future and space and apocalyptic and epic and, you know, rough and mechanized. And there's robots and magic. And, you know, if there wasn't for uh, World of Warcraft and uh, Fallout and Star Wars and the Riddick universe, I think this thing would really kill it. That's an interesting way of looking at it. <laughs> 
you know, it's just all these great niche things and the universe is interesting, but there's just like somebody else is like kind of standing in any of those at all in any of those niches that's just doing one I, or two better than this property. Yeah, I disagree. I think 40K, like I think that universe has gritty grimdark going for it. It has that cynical that cynical, um, gritty fantasy vibe. Uh, and, and I don't know that I know of any other IP that does it better than 40K. I, I, you know, you got a point there, man. That, that's probably, you know, and that's what I'd say. I'd say, like, part of, the, part of that is taken up by, like, Star Wars, which is, like, the space part. And the gritty is taken up by, say, you know, the, the Riddick universe. Like, it's not that someone hasn't put it together together better than Warhammer. It's that like two separate people have explored that themes, you know, those themes slightly differently, but just a touch better um, because of what else they do. And I hear what you're saying, and I and I, I'm inclined to agree and say that this setting has always suffered from being a little bit niche, right? right? Um, it's, you know, it's, it's never going to be a mainstream property like Star Wars, for example, but the thing that makes it niche, which is that it's largely attached to, you know, a pretty obscure hobby, which is miniature wargaming on a tabletop. It's not a particularly like, um, mainstream hobby. Right. Yeah. And I think the universe has suffered a bit for it because of that. But I, I, I want to say the amount of fantasy that's out around this universe, like in the form of books and in the form of video games and stuff, it's pretty impressive. And and the one note that I don't think any other world hits quite as well is the cynical note. It goes I mean, deeper I, than any game or any system. Yeah, it's and it's it's this it's this um, political critical commentary because you've got you know the main faction. Well, I, sorry, I shouldn't say main faction, but the humanity analogy. Right, which is uh, Terra, largely presided over by the by the Space Marines, is this totalitarian, like quasi-fascist regime that is um, kind of masquerading as the good guy. But you know, when you peel back the layers, it's just as corrupted and cynical and 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 you know, arbitrary as uh, as you could you could think and. You've got like the Imperial Guard who are the frontline soldiers of humanity and they have literally been reduced to like a meat grinder, right? It's comical how many of these uh, Imperial Guard get slaughtered en masse and they really make a dark comedy of it. Yes. And, you know, it's it's fascinating because I just don't I don't see that in any like it's maybe the closest to get to that would be a Starship Troopers or a um, right or a uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy like that level of absurdity. Yeah, it's got that kind of like that kind of, yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's, I mean, it has has some British roots, right? Maybe it's a little bit of that British dry wit. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, that that kind of cynical um, wit. But yeah, it, it's it's got that there in a way that makes it both a little bit comical, but also can can really bring it into the realm of of disturbing not only on a horror or a or a thriller level, but also um, on a on a like a on a, like a humanity ethics political level too, which is it's pretty neat. Got something pretty got something thing. for everybody. The yeah, the Space Marines uh, leaders, the Emperor, who is a uh, psychic lich that is held together only by the thousands of psychic enabled humans that are sacrificed to feed him on a daily basis so he can 
can, and it's yeah continue to reign supreme over an infinite and expanding universe requiring a you know um, apparatus of space marines that stretches thousands of light years and uh like you say the dark comedy of them being completely zealotous and convinced of the glory and the rightness of the space marines everything they hold dear uh while while all marching to like meaningless deaths and you're like oh this game goes there on a darkness level on like like yeah, just being arbit like a uh, 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 bereft uh, of of the good guy and so you just you pick whatever mutation whatever perversion of like uh you know the current current sort of tropes that that most suits you yeah that's it's interesting it, it makes you a bad person for playing <laughs> that's right that's right there you go there you go um yeah so anyway i was sad to see dawn of war is uh is being sunsetted and you know when you end development of a title early when you've got plans to put together an extension of a game and then you just don't it doesn't really bode well for the future of the franchise so my suspicion is dawn of war uh we have seen you and uh you have come to pass um yeah it's a little bit of like a a a, a studio sad moment but it's also they're like disappointed they're like we're not angry that more of you didn't buy this game. We're just disappointed. And I feel like just there's like a bony, bony figure finger uh, pointed in our direction. Cause I didn't buy it. And, you know, I consider myself a fan, but uh, the, the, the base brass tacks of this is I bought a bunch of Warhammer game, uh, Warhammer games on steam and they all suck. Yeah. And I oh yeah. Warhammer game. games are not known for being good. Sorry guys. No. I played them too late. Maybe I'm, they're awesome when they came out. I don't want to throw, Game they makers, weren't. Maybe they were. They were not. Maybe the hotness. And I would say I appreciate no. the effort. Back to the drawing board. Yes. No. Thank you. No. Thank you. Um. Anyway, yeah. So that's that's it for another game franchise. Uh, next up, uh, we'll be looking at <laughs> Mass Effect Andromeda, which I'm sure doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't make anybody sad on the Mass Effect franchise at all. Mm-mm. It'll be totally fine. It'll the be new totally game cool. that everybody's going to love. A new game that's coming out, oh, a year ago. Oh. And yes, that franchise has gone up in flames. Um, you phoned it in. No, you phoned it in. No video game loot boxes for buyers under 21, say proposed Hawaii bills. This is interesting. They're making uh, video game loot boxes or are proposing to make video game loot boxes um, a gambling mechanism in which let's be completely fucking transparent. They really very much are um, in Hawaii. So you cannot participate in purchasing an in-game item that gives you a randomized outcome if you're under the age of 21. And they also are saying that developers will have to disclose the odds of receiving a particular item, uh, similar to a, a bill that passed in China in 2017, which is, which is uh, kind of a, a neat way of at least taking away some of the mystery behind those loot box rolls, right? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because disclosing the ratios is uh, something that they, they've kind of argued back and, and forth on because it's actually one of the, the things that something that is a gamble, uh, gambling sort of service, anything that constitutes that, they have to disclose their odds. Uh, you know, it becomes especially, especially prevalent in slot machines and things of that nature. Um, you right. know, some other loot boxes have toyed with having fixed um, stuff you can buy. Uh, 
uh, a recent uh, catastrophe would be uh, Metal Gear uh, Survive um, that that offered. Oh, I heard that was a catastrophe. Oh yeah, big old faceplant. They're actually only doing five percent. If you just look at the UK numbers, the only ones we have of the the sales that the previous Metal Gear Solid Five did on release. Ooh, five percent. Five percent numbers. This, the spot six on the new releases in the UK. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why these guys might be eating a lot of uh, a proverbial uh, uh, dick. But uh, one of the reasons is uh, for sure that the, it, the, it's uh, monetization. It's loot boxes were like uh, type thing. It's monetization uh, system was buying things like save slots and gear build days. I'm sorry, buying what? Save slots? Save slots. Oh, you wanted to save? That would be a little bit No. Extra. Oh, buddy. Do they do they give you an original save slot, or is this like just above and beyond one save slot? Um, deep, or do you have to you have to buy a save slot to save period in that game because that's like demo shit? I I feel like my details are too sketchy because I got to be honest, I have avoided looking at this game too much because I object right. to it on moral grounds um, because it's the first uh, uh, Kojima less uh, Metal Gear Solid production. So I object to it on those grounds, but it is, it's really eating a big fat one. So I think I'll just quietly make it, you know, watch it die on the vine. And normally I, I would never root against a, a developer or a video game company, but I think Konami needs to um, get slapped on the PP a little bit and uh, really, really see what it's done. And then hopefully have a come to Jesus moment. Or come to... Uh... Come to Kojima moment, right? But at the very least. But back to uh, the, the lawmakers thing. How, how this this seems like small because you think Hawaii. You know, it's it's the barely a state. No offense, Hawaii of the USA. Uh, not, it's, it is legal precedent, though. Uh, it, it is legal precedent. Well, thank you for taking my next <laughs> the turn of. I am the wind beneath it your may wings. Maybe this. You're I like am the breeze in your sails. You are one of the worst. No, but uh, you're right. Uh, making precedent is so important for for law in the U.S. because. This is something that lawmakers throughout the country are, are going to look at um, and uh, also probably um, uh, campaign donated to look the other way. Um, but campaign donuts, I agree. Yeah, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Lobbying. Soup song. A little bit of lobbying uh, in the other direction. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see who goes this direction and, and, and make some rulings on it because it's big business. Um, you know, huge, huge money in the billions of dollars. Uh, there's some games that sport four billion dollars of uh, of uh, revenue generated. So uh, from this kind of practice, so they're looking, they're looking very. When you're close. putting a B behind your sales figures, there's almost no ethical, no ethical line that that someone won't won't cross. It's, and so, you know, I, I feel like us all standing around and and pretending this isn't gambling and doesn't specifically prey upon, you know. Um, human tendencies to uh, exploit themselves in games like this, having just come back from casino land, right? Um, there, there's some very specific ways that as a game developer or someone who engineers a gambling experience, you can encourage someone to continue playing a game long past the point in which it's reasonable. And I just, I think that, you know, we should treat it as it should be treated, which is exactly like what it is, a gambling situation. It's so challenging to categorize a game in this way because it's like, Oh, you mean a system where it exploits goal-reward centers of pleasure in the brain? Like if they use an MRI to determine it's gambling? Yeah, it's gambling. And so is every other game you've ever played. 
you know, if it was some sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, German nihilist game, it's like uh, Mario isn't running to the end collecting coins to save the princess. It's like, why does Mario jump? Oh, he jumps for the pure futility of life. Look at his useless <laughs> overalls and his sad eyes. He truly has no meaning. Like, all these games we're playing to beat the boss, hit the thing, collect the power up, beat the thing, get a, get a blast of accomplishment. You know, and that's what all this stuff plays on. So the central conceit is I can't pull money out of this game. So they've ignored it so much as a gambling thing. But once you can continuously pump more money into it, they start going, oh, wait, 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 maybe we should take a look at this. And the fact that it, you know, it centers not solely around, but includes children. Yeah, no, it's entirely the case. And I've heard, you know, I've heard that specific argument before. If you can't pull money back out, it's not gambling. Um, and I just, I, I feel like that, that, uh, that defines the only acceptable motivation for gambling as like straight monetary compensation, right. which is very, very clearly not the case. You can be motivated to do many things um, to your own detriment based on things other than, you know, gambling. So, it, or sorry, money. The only so thing it, that that tells yeah. me is that then definitely the house always wins because you ain't allowed to cash out. No, I mean, actually, you can in some platforms, like, for example, with Steam um, and their what, what the heck is it? Counter-Strike where you, you know, you can buy randomized loot boxes for special gun skins and there's a real money auction house or whatever that marketplace that you can uh, you can buy. I don't know, stripes for your gun for like 300 USD. Buy it, are, you, buy are you familiar with this? Like far by far the, the, the exception, though, in the rule. Right. Sure. Sure. By and large, it's, you know, buy a hundred dollars worth of gems so you can play this slot machine and maybe get the super cool purple monster kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only game that really is pretty good at paying out is uh, this, this game I, I really enjoyed. Um, I was playing it the other day, you know, I didn't really get into it, but um, I think maybe I just don't get it completely. It's called uh, Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. There you go. Weird. It's weird. I mean, <laughs> Progression is a little bit flat, and uh, you know, I, I, I think the the story is a little bit buried. They really buried the lead on it, but uh, yeah, I'm seeing some good games. Yeah. I, I'm sure it never stops. I haven't looked no, at I'm it sure. in two months though, so just don't no spoilers. Directly north, directly Thank north. You? Um, how how buddy? How I make money in the crypto? Give me give me crypto. I hear Kodak is now making cryptocurrency. Oh, funny you should mention it. Uh, uh, Atari just saw a 50% boost in their stock uh, evaluation um, and valuation based on the fact that they, uh, Atari just got into crypto, my friend. Oh, there you go. That's interesting. Well, the stock market is a wild, wet ride. Um, uh, speaking of, every, you know who Anne Hathaway is, yes? The actress? Sure. Uh, she's in such gems as uh, Dark Knight Rises. Love and other drugs. That one, too. And uh, also... Maybe one. It's not a. No, problem. No problem. So when uh, that is a movie about dick pills, my dude. Oh, take it oh, back. Oh yes, the Jake Gyllenhaal piece. Jake, you know, let me tell you, Jake Gyllenhaal is in fine Let's form. Let's take a film. moment to just recognize Jake Gyllenhaal. Let's take a moment. Let's friend of the little, friend of the podcast. Out. Friend of the podcast. Regular listener, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Thanks. We thanks, salute you. Jake, thanks for getting in there, buddy. Um, Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, Love another dick pills. I had a point. Andy, put me back on track. 
Uh, nope, we are so far on the Oh, no, 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 I so, got this. I got wet and wild, wet and oh, wild. Oh, ha- no, Anne Hathaway. So whenever Anne <laughs> Hathaway uh, trends in the news, algorithms that are designed to speculate on stock prices start buying Berkshire Hathaway, uh, a stock that is owned That's by amazing. Warren Buffett. So like it just gets triggered because there's all these news news alerts for Hathaway. They're like, buy, buy, buy. That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that great? I hope that someday people will will make ill and I won't even go there. Forget it. It tells me <laughs> I, that I, I, I wish AI that someday someday I wish to be Anne Hathaway. That's all. Finally, you're right. Finally, the technology you're Anne Hathaway. only has to go a little bit further before there. I can be Anne Hathaway. He's got to get a lock of her hair and uh, le- <laughs> and her legal her legal disclaimer. And a couple leeches and newts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think, yep. Um, Kingdom Come Deliverance. Speaking of Eye of Newt, nah. No, that's nah. good. That's good. Go there. Pretend like that's sure. reasonable. Sure. Have you seen this game? So it just came out for PS4 um, and Xbox and PC, I want to say. It is a, it is a, I don't want to say a simulator. It's a game set in um, medieval uh medieval earth uh, rooted in history in uh, the balkans or the, the bohemia bohemia you're doing great you're doing great place, eastern, eastern europe there yeah. you go whatever eastern europe sure and um have you seen this guy this looks actually like a super historical come deliverance asked the question which is did you like witcher witcher but wish there was less pesky things like magic and dragons and monsters yes yes to any of those come on down we got something for you here yeah, this is uh, this is it's it's unique in that it's a medieval setting. So you know the same kind of aesthetics you're used to in your Skyrim or your Morrowind or your Witcher. Um, however, it strips out the fantastical elements, which is something not often done, um, and gives you a pretty authentic medieval feudal kind of uh, day in the life feeling of adventuring around in um, old. Eastern Europe, uh, being pretty much a shitty normal dude who can barely use a sword. Um, and I find this a very interesting premise. The idea that you've got this almost realism simulator without trolls and dragons and witches, uh, you're just dealing with, with, you know, bandits and the King's men and that kind of stuff. The game gives itself permission to focus in on this, a more narrow band. Um, which means that you know they're going to be focusing on combat mechanics and story, and you know they're really really bringing it down to earth. And I think that kind of focus could really benefit a game um, when we're all trying to bolt on extra stuff. Yeah, I mean that's boy, that's a really great way of putting it. I think that it's it's a game that tells you very upfront what it is and focuses on delivering an, an experience authentic to that. Right. Um, I haven't played it yet. Apparently it had a 20 gigabyte day one yep. patch, which is f- fucking bananas. That's wild. 20 gigs, man. Like we, we live in a world of people having throttled data plans. I'm lucky enough to have an unlimited one, but I can tell you uh, in my old apartment, having a hundred gigs was like a $70 affair for me on the monthly. So taking up a quarter of my monthly bandwidth allotment on a day one patch would have driven me into the red zone in a big hurry. Yeah, absolutely. And what that, that makes you feel like is, well, that's the game, isn't it? (laughs) 
And I mean, truth truth be told, this is a young uh, young studio. Um, I think this was Kickstarter. Yeah, it was a right? Kickstarter uh, like miracle. You know, one of their success yeah, stories. Yeah, and you know, from what from what I understand, in the world of video game production, they print the game like three months ahead of shipping it. So I get that if you've made, you know, if you're actively working on your game and you're making bug fixes um, and you want to deliver those to the player base, it could be a pretty hefty day one patch. But wow. 20, 20 gigs is 20 a pretty gigs serious is major assets in the game, man. That's not code. It's giant amount of assets. That's, there's graphics in there. There's there's entire zones in there, almost certainly. And, yeah, and it's, it's interesting. This is a P- PS4 uh, game as well as Xbox One and PC. So you know, I bet you the PC package probably had a full update. It's it's the consoles that really suffer if they were sent you know, digital media, because they have this non-permeability, where the PC, that's probably just the build on Steam now, you know what I mean? It's rolled in there. Or maybe not, you know, maybe not. Uh, Maybe I'm totally turned around on that, but, uh, you know, I wonder if this game has the level of uh, realism that I demand from uh, a game of this ilk, which is like, I just, randomly the screen should fade to black and be like, he died of dysentery or no, apparently that's a thing. Like you have to keep yourself clean. You got to wash your clothes, and there's there's apparently some pretty in depth systems. For example, if you present yourself to a noble lord looking like a peasant, you're uh, you're you're not going to get where you want to be. And and so I've read some of the subsystems of this game. They all seem very impressive. Um, it's got some great reviews, despite the fact that I think it's it's still a pretty buggy situation. So. Yeah, I mean, this is the historical context. Does that make it attractive to you? Do you like the idea of hitting that hitting that medieval setting in uh, in realism? Um, I normally throw the books that I find in the garbage that are too deep in lore in games like this, but you know, sure. I, I I think so. I think it it has something attractive because it's pretty unique in that field. Hey, can, I wonder. Here's a question: Can you read in this book or in this story, like? I wonder what the chances are oh, that, that is you a good read question. as a human. Are you literate? In this time period, and can you read? Like, when you pick up a scroll, do you just grimace at it awkwardly and be like, oh, yes, I definitely know what quest I'm supposed to go on. This X. Well, that's the thing about this game. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. It's probably not. But, you know, um, the way that they treat it is very much... At, at the risk of being frustrating and the risk of being extremely obtuse, you know, genuinely, you don't start the game able to adequately swing a sword. You know, you start the game being pretty fucking clumsy with a weapon, and that's because you're just some random village guy, right? It makes a ton of sense. So I, I like the idea that, you know, you deal with this started from the bottom, now we're here kind of situation back in the old middle middle evil. Um, and, you know, it gets you to a place where you get to experience the growth curve somewhere that doesn't just tack on higher numbers or, you know, a new spell or a flaming sword. You're actually dealing with the growth of a person's skill and ability, which is, it's cool. It's a cool way with to that cool way bread to and butter combat. You know what I mean? You're really starting you know, at that ground level, what you're advancing to isn't a bolt of lightning or, you know, summoning a bear out of nothingness. It's to really get that repost going with your sword or, you know. I mean, listen, summoning a bear is always a pleasurable moment in a video sure. game. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I wonder if the lack of that um, threatens to make a game like this, although it's like very cool with its adherence, but 
I wonder if it can get, you know, maybe a little bit plain, uh, you know. I'm sure that there's a possibility, and I'm I'm sure that that's a that's a very real risk in you a game I'd, like this. I'm glad it's willing to I'd take the risk. Love to see in a game like this is like the DLC they drop in a year is like there's werewolves, or like the the dragon DLC, uh, the magic DLC, and you start like turning them on. You start with this this great foundation. You get like uh, now there's mech suits. Oh yeah, there you go. That would be a real mind fuck. Um, let's assume that that's not going to happen. Uh, the third person perspective of this game does leave me feeling a little bit chuffed because we're just talking here about you know realism in a combat system. Here's one thing that I can definitively say, at least for myself, the Skyrim battle system, especially when you're swinging a sword, that third person battle system has never felt... Um, nimble or particularly in control it's always felt like a bit button mashy i've never felt a first person game that felt agile enough for melee combat right i'm very curious to see how that translates uh, into this game and if it is indeed something um that feels good because i just i can't picture it in first person you know? i know what you mean um and i think uh you know one of the ways that a game is, does this like this is like you're just matched by where your partner is, and if they're, if you're both sort of uh, connected to the same move sets, um, if as long as they can balance that right, you won't feel clumsy. I don't think you'll feel like you're dealing with the same sort of variables as they are. And I, I, I mean, that's something people praise. That's something people praise this game for is uh, the the combat. Uh, you know, right um, and. Yeah, it's buggy as hell. So, asterisks on this that one. Asterisks on the outside. Kingdom Hearts three on the inside. Oh, dude, I'm really excited about Kingdom Hearts three, and I'm just kind of gazing over this article here. Um, Polygon uh, shared some screenshots of some Monsters Inc. related content for the new Kingdom Hearts 3. This looks fucking cool, man. Are you hyped for I gotta Kingdom say, Hearts 3 I or what? I am, and they are just, they're keeping those those leaks just so tight. Keeping that info so close to the chest. Oh, this is so cool. So they have the your party, which is Donald Duck, Sora, and Goofy, right? These are the, I mean, Donald Duck and Goofy are, are the uh, Disney Disney properties. And then, you know, Sora is the titular character, but uh, not titular. Sorry, not at all. The, yeah. Ooh, wow. There you go. Um, however, they have them all transmogrified into these Monsters Inc. looking versions of themselves. You've got like Donald Duck, who's a Cyclops, and you've got Goofy, who looks like a big melting Gumby. Right, it's just it's pretty damn neat. I'm ah, this game looks so yeah, good. You know they've they've tipped their hand on a couple of the worlds, and you know if you've never played Kingdom Hearts before, sort of the premise is these characters move between realities, and as they enter those realities, they gain some of their qualities. So you know they all get a little bit transmogrified, and uh, they we've sort of had a couple of tips on some of the worlds. We've seen a Toy Story world that just looks amazing. Uh, we've got little. Have you seen a Toy Story World? Is that a thing? What? Yeah, Toy buddy. Story World? That's one of the other things they've, I'm looking they've also uh, tilted the hand and showed a little bit of stuff from Tangled, Rapunzel's crew, and um, a return to a previous place uh, 
the Little Mermaid, so that tells you that they might be retreading some old ground, which I don't think is necessarily a mistake. Oh, amazing. No, no, I don't think it's a mistake. This is awesome, man. These graphics of uh, of Kingdom Hearts 3 and Toy Story is just, uh, there's just something charming about absolutely. this whole thing. And it's funny, because my kid is absolutely obsessed with Tangled right now. It's a, it's a, it's a real landmark landmark uh, movie for her. And it's just it'll be fascinating to do a little bit of gaming in that This is how you also. lure your child into the vehicle of Kingdom Hearts. It's with Tangled. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you're right. I feel like you're right indeed. Um, yeah, so Kingdom Hearts 3, I'm very much psyched on that. Oh, dude, I think I want to probably uh, dock this dock this ship in the station here in a moment. But let me share with you one other last little thing here. Did you know that Warframe is actually planning a convention um, that's taking place in London, Ontario? Sounds more of like a, like a support group. No, it's not. This is like an official. This is an official convention by the developers of Warframe, right? Um, and it's it's so weird that it's happening in Canada. Like that's that just seems like I don't know if the studio's in Canada. Not in I don't Canada. think it is. London, Ontario. London. Yeah, it's like pretty strange. But um, either way, I mean, I think this is pretty neat. Now we've both played Warframe in the past, and I think this was probably about three years ago, back when Destiny One was still pretty fresh. Um, and I think both of us enjoyed it for a quick time, but never really, never really wanted to go back to it. Now, have you heard about some of the changes that have happened to this game recently, though? Because it seems like it's had the a bit of an overhaul. Have really gone to work and created um, some less claustrophobic environments, some more open environments, um, which is a nice variation from mm. the more like enclosed facilities and space vessels. Um, and then they really um, diversified the combat and opened it up. And from what I saw, it actually looked quite good. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are talking about Warframe, especially because there's there's a little bit of, let's call it unrest around Destiny yeah. 2 at the moment. Um, and I see Warframe being brought up more often than not, uh, A, for its extremely wide breadth of content. Like, uh, if you don't know Warframe, it's a massively multiplayer online game um, that is a shooter in the same vein as Destiny, but that allows you to not only, you know, grind for new weapons and do the whole Diablo style thing, but also unlock new, what you could call subclasses, right? Like the, the Warframes are all kind of, um, you know, one is fast, one jumps really high, one, you know, can deal out cold damage, whatever. Um, you know, you can unlock all of those different subclasses and kind of specialize in one or the other. It looks like a very cool evolution of the game that we yeah, played previously. Yeah, and it's a team that really doubles down on that ninja mech warrior feel. Yeah, that's actually, wow, that's a great way to put it. Ninja mech warrior. Hadn't thought of that. Cool. Yeah, well, you know what, man? Um, I would say I'd love to go to this thing, but I'm not a Warframe player yet. So I think you and I should probably one of these weeks both jump into Warframe for a couple days and see uh, yeah, man, see what's I changed. Think it's really smart, you know. Whatever keeps you away from like a hundred hours, of, like a really quality RPG uh, that may or may not be dealt in a way. <laughs> I say we do that. We just we do as much of that uh. as possible. I'm going to be Persona 5 by July, man. Of I'm going to be Persona 5. you are. Yes. Uh, what's releasing in July? Theoretically, if I do lose what's this what game are you picking up? What's releasing in July is $80 from your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man. Yeah. Well, 
um, on that note, I think we should probably go ahead and shut this sucker down. Burn it to the ground. And leave it how we found it. uh, An empty lot. Light it a fire. Yes, sir. Listener questions or games you want us to play shoot us an email at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. I've noticed some of you have been a little shy about this in the past, so go ahead and get over that crippling, debilitating social defect and throw us an email, purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. You know, and if you're com. just afraid of Andy, you know, you can get me at dankdan at pdsq at gmail.com, and, you know, he doesn't need to know about it until we read it on air. And while you're at it, you keep trying to you keep trying to give you know, people dank, that email. We don't need to dank, split up our it's emails. Cool. We're one it's cool. we're dank one unit. PDSQ at gmail.com. No one needs to know. Listen, everyone has forgotten that fucking god off. Dank Dan was Dank Dan taken at gmail.com and you know it was. It's Dank Dan with six. Instantly forget it. Um and you know, while you're at it It was Dank Dan was taken already? Let me ask. Dank Dan was taken. Yes. Dank Dan was taken. It's a very it's a very cromulent name. It's a cromulent name. Fair enough, my man. Fair enough. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. And oh, that's 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 the whole handle. I was gonna add Purple Dungeon Squid at Twitter dot Instagram dot edu dot Facebook dot Vine. Um, until next time. Keep it dank, friends. Keep it dank. Mm-hmm. A dibbity dank dank. Dibbity dank. Fuck, I am high.